So we're talking about uh, Salome and Judith, the uh, anchorites who have their feasts on the the 29th, not Jutta slash Judith of of Kolmsi, uh, the first Prussian anchoress, right? These are... (laughs) We'll get into that, I suppose. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today? Uh, Thanks for for joining us. Uh, Hi, I'm Al, and uh, I deny all of the rumors that I have been sat in a basement eating spiders all week. Uh, these are foul, vicious rumors uh, that I will uh, 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 vituperatively deny at uh, every opportunity. How are you doing, Jesse? Have you been eating any spiders of late? Uh, no, I don't have the energy for humble brags right now. Um... <laughs> <laughs> This has been a farm catch-up week, so that's yeah. um, in addition to researching uh, such fine topics as we have on this our 29th episode, uh, which I believe I, I, I briefly looked up the um, kind of prevailing feel about the number 29, which is change, progress, and ambition um, okay. associated with people who are constantly striving to improve themselves, uh, which right. I think it's so prevalent upon a internet search because people seem to have copy pasted the same paragraph over and over more than they. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's, uh, you know, it's two years after you've survived the 27 club uh, entry uh, fee. <laughs> and yeah. now, people, and, and I guess there's a, there's a, uh, 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 what's a Saturn return kind of thing around 29 as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That must be the change in progress part. And, uh, you know, the ambition that's there, this, the circumscribing of our passions on the Masonic level. And the two plus nine equals 11, which is a master number, and you don't reduce it in Pythagorean numerology, or at least, you know, new agey numerology of the West. Mm. But um, so we are uh, Radio Free Golgotha, and we are uh, welcome to the latest Babel Child. Uh, episode 29 is dedicated to the Saints Salome or Salome, if you're British. Um, and <laughs> Judith, uh, which I believe is still pronounced Judith uh, uh, across the pond. Is that is that accurate to say? Is it Judy? Judy. Yeah, Judy. Judy and Salome. <laughs> yeah. So other than the smorgasbord that, or the charcuterie board that that makes me think of now, uh, <laughs> we have uh, a host of lovely uh, attempted topics to talk about. Uh, so obviously this the our saints here are a little bit more about you know we're trying to squeeze in an episode a month and so we have a lot going on in the summer so we're really happy we missed our first uh possible topic which we'll save for a year to come um mm-hmm. uh, that is not to say judith and salome are our second choice they were never our choices originally um so <laughs> um we're happy to to muse on them because i think there's some really discussion good discussions of hagiographic blur as well as um uh, Usually we find saints that are validated the other way around, like towards the Western part of Europe. And these are saints that were validated towards the like central and Germanic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From the West. Anyway. So saints, Judith and Salome, the anchorites, their feast is June 29th on this, our 29th episode. Wow. I just noticed that that's pretty amazing um, because I'm, I'm simple and impressed easily. The it's demon all coming together. Yeah. The demon is Beleth, Beleth, um Lilith there's mm-hmm. many, not Lilith but there are many different permutations of um Beleth out there mm-hmm. the herb is walnut the mm-hmm. is black tourmaline and probably a little bit of all tourmalines 
the tarot trump is the hermit, Lemita. Uh, the figure is Amicio, and it's a little dipping our toes into its corresponding uh, same-formed, homoformed uh, Odu of Oshemeji uh, from Ifa. The type of magic, just kind of broad, but it fits the terms of the day, right? Of like seclusion and exile, I yeah. think. And uh, this is a really... I think a really valuable discussion that I, I think will expand past this episode for us. Um, and as far as our dead magician, uh, bring in a little bit of Suzanne Wenger, uh, who is an Austrian Nigerian artist who is not as known as much as I think she should be. Cause she's mm. pretty fucking amazing. Her life story. And she uh, only recently uh, crossed the river in mm. late, I think 2009. Um, so uh, just, Fantastic artist, Arisha Priestess, and just just advocate for traditional religion um, in West Africa in a way that I think is really wonderful to celebrate. So I'm excited to, to dive in. I totally took, usually I think uh, you list these topics and I'm sorry to steal your, your thunder. Yeah, I'm excited about these topics. I think there's, we, we normally do obviously like a summation of like, here are things we've talked about at the end. And, and, and I'm excited to find the connections that I don't see already at the top of this or having done you know, uh, a modicum of of research and so on. But these themes of darkness and uh, isolation uh, uh, slash focus, uh, you know, anchorites versus uh, exile, um, the way uh, the way walnut bee uh, and and its associations with you know the witches and, and and so on and so forth. Like, yeah, no, I'm excited to 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 jump into these. I think there's some 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 good stuff. So uh, in terms of kicking off with the reason for the season, uh, do you want to uh, start with our, our Judith and our Salome? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so St. Salome and St. Judith, who are anchorites, uh, an anchorite is uh, a lady who lives in seclusion for religious reasons. It does not mean she necessarily lives in an abbey or uh, a comment or even a place designed for women to be in seclusion, but she anchorites might um, get tossed in a, in a cell by their own volition. Any monastic institution or a place where there could be a spare room that a, room, a woman could say, I want to be in isolation here and yeah. live as a, there's no vows necessarily, except personal vows probably should be understood as something. They might undertake lay vows. They might not. There's a certain amount of this too, which I think um, with anchorites is fascinating given British history with anchorites and the demonizing of anchorites, especially with uh, figures like uh, Black Annis who mm. and those forest hags of Great Britain that many people feel were named in part after or or at least semi-mythologized versions that were like a weird syncretism between pagan memory of hags of the land as well as anchorites and specifically therefore Catholic anchorites, women who were just living on their own, living off the land um, in a in a self-imposed seclusion. And I enjoy that kind of Whoa, what is that's an interesting lifestyle choice, right? Um, and then to be demonized as a cannibalized or a cannibal hag who wears the skins of children, um, when really you were just a good good Catholic girl. Well, that, yeah, that's and that's the thing, right? In in some cases, these anchorites are you know even limiting themselves not just to not have contact with other humans, but like limited to maybe not just sleeping in that little room in a monastery or at the top of a hill or you know in a in a tumble down cabin in the woods but literally staying in that room for yeah. most of their lives yeah uh, and so this this prospect of like the 
we'll, we'll get into it in terms of seclusion. It's 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 tempting for those of us who who like to write on our own to be like, oh my god, this this sounds glorious. But also, it's very easy to think about people looking at someone doing that and being like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. There, we talk about like divine anorexia as mm-hmm. as as has happened in the only eating the host. And right. there was that great movie uh, recently on, it was on Netflix that, that dealt with a, an investigation of a girl who was only eating the host. Oh. Um, and it turned out that the mother was actually bird, like feeding her mama bird style to keep her barely alive. Oof. But it, uh, anyway, that's going off on the tangents. That <laughs> hey, welcome, if you don't know us um, or me. But also the fathers and mothers of the desert background that happened in early Christianity of people like literally living on pillars. But here we have a self-imposed kind of divine agoraphobia, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to tell what the what the motivation is for many of these people. There's always felt to be a strangeness around the women this happens to. And they are not necessarily doing this. It's not as cheery for the anchorites usually. Right? They don't have a cheery reputation wherever they have. They're often plagued with like demonic visits as well as visions. Um, and so it, it it has that kind of... Um, what's the quote from Stigmata? Just the the closer you are to the divine light, the the, the closer you are to the devil as well. Um, mm. Paraphrasing um, horribly. So according to legend, uh, St. Salome was, in this case, um, an Anglo-Saxon princess in the ninth century. And she went to Jerusalem, which is a pretty dangerous time to go to Jerusalem, the ninth century, temporarily blinded. And she reaches what is now Bavaria. Um, and she has no possessions and... She becomes uh, an anchorite in uh, a monastery there. And somehow her aunt is sent by the the King of England to look for Salome. And she finally locates her and uh, decides to become an anchorite also. It's like, you know, you I like it here. We're going to be okay. cells next to each other. And <laughs> we're going to have demonic attacks side by side. Um, and so she remained there for the rest of her life, even after Salom- Salome died. They both were known for shrieks um, and screaming and having night terrors. And the the, the monks noted running uh, from the neighboring abbey to find out if she was being actually physically assaulted quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and she was always felt seen to be alone. And it was, it was, it was night visitation. Judith, who is the, the aunt and Salome are buried next to each other in Oberaltech. I'm not going to be good with German pronunciation, but uh, when the monastery was uh, destroyed by the Hungarians, um, both relics were translated, uh, translated meaning carried over to uh, Niederaltech, which is a Benedictine giant abbey on the Danube in Bavaria. So it's uh, that's a it's just a bigger church, but both their relics remain there to this day. And so there's not as much written about them. This is definitely reeks of medieval hagiography of like we have bones. And we're going to make a story about the bones and how did these bones get in this church? And we might not know, or how did these bones, why are these bones being um, revered and are are they performing miracles and what's going on here? So I I do like these stories that are, we don't really know too much about them other than this. I enjoy that this specific one has uh, the, the, as the kind of backwards justification. Usually we find German princesses and Eastern European princesses randomly showing up in the West in France or people from the Levant showing up in France and Spain and England. But here we have the opposite way that, that it's, or at least Anglo-Saxon could come down, but 
it's also just interesting to know it's king of England. So uh, the Saxons are sending people to Jerusalem. Um, they're converted by this time, and the they make some good anchorites happen in Bavaria. You know, obviously Jerusalem is one of the main you know pilgrimage sites, uh, and so there's a you know a huge thriving not just tourism industry or like you know churches along the way or you know side quests relic uh you know uh, veneration and things like that but it's a, a fascinating take on her on that on that that idea of pilgrimage beginning when you return home right the idea that she 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 goes to jerusalem encounters this this worldly uh, uh difficulty of being being blinded and then you know reaches bavaria and, and and finds herself being like okay i guess this is where i was meant to be the straying onto the path direct type of, um, <laughs> if the path direct includes night terrors and being locked in a cell for the rest of your life. Well, precisely, right? We're, we're into this theme of like, you uh, laid that out beautifully. This isn't even a case of taking holy orders, of feeling like you have got some destiny to be a great church leader or, you know, a, a founder of uh, of communities or whatever. It's, it's very much more the kind of... Uh, it's a lot more reminiscent of ideas around like the the society of the afflicted the idea of like these personal convictions to 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 have to get to have to turn your life into prayer otherwise it's it's going to get even worse this isn't a case of like i think i'm going to choose a hard life for myself this is the case of like how do i navigate this hard life i have found myself in you know through through this very solitary devotion i think there's uh, it reminds me of the abbey as i like to call it um, in talking to uh, some of the the sisters and mothers there over the years, um, Abbey of Regina Laudis, an amazing, amazing abbey in Bethlehem, Connecticut, does have public services and their churches is amazing. So uh, just highly recommend supporting them, visiting them if you're interested in seeing what an actual abbey looks like. There are not many of them in the States. As far as like a self-sustaining or trying to aim towards self-sustaining community of religious people, it's not an urban group it's it's not just a convent it is it is there's beehives and orchards and 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 animals you know they're they're processing hay and doing all these things in that benedictine way that like the benedictines are a pretty fun order um as far as work and pray just figure it out um and the father of monasticism right saint benedict um who was also a twin anyway what we were talking about the gate one time because it's interesting at this abbey like where some areas technically are there's gates between you and the and the nuns and it's not like they can't touch or interact with outsiders physically. Like there's nothing barring them from a lot of interaction with outsiders. It is still a self-imposed kind of restriction or at least an order imposed restriction. Uh, and one of the things that came up one time was the gate. And when you ask to enter, like you have to knock and you go in through this formal gate and they bring you in and you're now, you know, shut off from the rest of the world. And the, the, the particular sister uh, said something like, I don't feel we're shut off from the rest of the world because let's get one thing clear. You're mistakenly think that gate is there to protect us. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> because especially this Abbey takes people who have lived lives. They don't, they won't take a young person who's like, I want to be a nun. It doesn't work for them. You have to live their professional life. And so you get people like um, Dolores Hart, who was, uh, you know, the first on-screen kiss with Elvis? Who is is one of the superiors there? Like, this is there's there's a lot of people there. There was Mother Jerome, who was Austrian nobility and things like this. Just people had lived lives, and to think that 
<laughs> the gate is not there to protect us, dear. Um, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're locked in here with me. Yeah, right. I, right. I get that. I understand and sympathize with that. I think anybody on a spiritual trajectory for a long time understands that um, we're actively confronting our the deep regions of ourself. Um, mm. And, and the, I think there's certainly a shift um, post like 90s mentality that, you know, as the millennium approached, uh, there was a lot more talk about the interior nature of the apocalypse. And mm-hmm. it was a Matthew Fox thing at the time of like really analyzing that the battlefield of the apocalypse was in, was in every person and right. that the stories of when the, and the, the, the internalization of revelation was important not to understand it as an external event because we can't control whether it is or not. Uh, mm-hmm. But to understand it, that the battlefield, the battleground of your soul is to look into your own abyss um, and to understand how you will survive the reaches of yourself and because the, the the tortures of this world are temporary in the Christian modality, right? So it's of this world. There are tortures perhaps in the next world, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you won't suffer here forever, um, which is certainly true across the board, um, death being what it is. In addition to this kind of uh, self-imposed isolation that will come again at I think, you know, probably many times today, isolation, um, privation, and things like this, exile. I'm also struck by the the names of these two women, right? So Salome and Judith, as far as biblical figures, even though Salome, the the one that we associate as Salome, because there's many Salomes, it's a very, it's probably a Hellenized version of of Shalom, they feel. Um, So it's a very common name in in the kind of coin Greek era of of, uh, Israel. But that you have two beheaders here. Yeah. You have have Judith, who it's Holofernes. That's his name, Holofernes? Holofernes? Holofernes. Holofernes. I was struck just even thinking about the, I mean, and and Salome with John the Baptist. She doesn't necessarily do the beheading. We kind of, she is the beheadress. You know, she is the, the reason and the dance and the seduction when it is not attributed to Herodias specifically. And there's always a blur between Herodias and Salome. And it was Josephus that gave us Salome's um, name. I think we explored a lot of this in the Herodias episode. And right. Just, antiquities, right. <clears throat> looking at Judith who isolated herself after her husband's death. Right. So she's, she's a beautiful woman, a uh, happy marriage and her husband dies and she freaks out and she lives in a tent on the roof of her house for three mm-hmm. and a half years. Mm-hmm. So she herself is an anchorite of sorts. Um, hers is out of mourning, but and less more of a of a, a larger religious goal. But there's something inherently spiritual about that, right? Of course, in the sense that everything is spiritual, and it's only after the town is uh, punished by the Assyrians and Nebuchadnezzar has uh, Alephernes come, and she basically pops down from the roof, covers herself in oil, goes to battle, um, and tells him that she's a prophetess, and she cuts off his head while he's sleeping. And I like this idea of the sleeping enemy that gets mm. behind through deception, through claiming prophetess, because you know what? She she was a prophetess. She said, I'm going to take care of this. And she <laughs> so it kind of reeks of like um, a little bit of Joan, the, Joan of Arc, as we were talking about, of like, you know, whether or not this prophecy is about me, I'm going to make it about me. Right. And there's, and she, I mean, especially if you're making this prophecy yourself, it, that's its own luxury. And then you have uh, Salome, who is not awake, a, a, a sleeping dead, but an imprisoned uh person that she beheads or is the reason for the beheading over lust of, of being manipulated by her mother um, to dance for her, her, her father. There's various steps involved there. 
but still the, the, the mother figure asking the daughter figure to dance for the father figure, uh, the daughter figure to dance for the father figure in a seductive way so that uh, he has to grant a wish and it's the head of the Baptist. I think there's something quite fascinating there. There's something wonderfully beautiful. And perhaps that's another type of magic to discuss sometime is the headless ones, because this is a wonderful theme of, you know, Orphic and Dionysian and, uh, and otherwise even through the, the cult of the headless ones in, in Naples. Right. So I think there's, there's a lot of beauty there. I, I, again, I don't necessarily think that these two anchorites have anything to do with that, but they did kind of cut off their own societal involvement at the head. As mm-hmm. it, it is interesting that the Judith is the older one, um, who is the 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 Hebrew Testament version to the Salome, Salome, who is uh, Christian Testament, and it it's just it's the hagiographic blur there. I would not want to not play on if I no was- no entirely yeah yeah yeah. I think it's a, it's it's a really great example of the. I I think we're seeing something of a of a way of thinking about saints and their days and their names and how they align and rhyme with each other that these 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 two names of our of our anchorites happen to be shared with these two main beheading women i think i think it can be thought of as a mistake i think there is some example of people confusing the legends in the same way we talk about sometimes people say you know john of patmos did a thing that was 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 the baptists right and we, we we're pretty sure about that so i think they can be thought of as as occasionally mistakes but i also feel we're seeing some equivalence of a synchronicity or, or an awareness of something like synchronicity of like perhaps it's part of god's plan that these two uh saints with the the names that that evoke these other biblical or, or, or scriptural women uh, with their own, uh, you know, strange stories that link them as well, also happen to be found here. Like this, this, there's something of a. I never want to suggest that hagiographic blur is just people confusing their salames, but I do want to look at like in that confusion that does happen. Like when are when are they learning from when when is when is something some greater context being articulated, especially within the the tradition too within. Christianity and and many traditions of naming specifically for biblical figures and right. so there is some invocation of that saint or or figure patriarch or 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 biblical figure in general in the very naming of it there's name saints right we have this tradition of like what is the saint of the person they can have a common name but like their yeah, Christian yeah. name their 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 official name uh, especially in ceremony is about the adoption of this we're we're asking for the blur. Certainly, this is done in in at least Catholic confirmation, in that you were always told like you had to choose a a an actual saint. And here's where there was an interesting thing for me, even in in that confirmation side of it, of that you couldn't name for angels, which was a very Protestant intervention to me, right? Like we've talked about before, how saint <laughs> properly with Michael. We, I think we talked about specifically of like you you shall not name a, a thing a saint that is was never a a human. And in Catholic confirmation, they're like, no, 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 a human saint, um, which was specifically uh, told to me. I don't know if that's specific Catholic doctrine, because I know many people are like, oh, my name's Raphael after the angel. They're like, that's cute. But there's many saints, Raphael. So if you say <laughs> you're not going to like, you know, me and choosing Gabriel because it's also family dead. And that's very Mexican of like, you name yourself for previous people in the family who also have a saint's name. Which is also a nice loophole in terms of like no angels, but I can name myself after a human saint who was named after an angel. Yes, exactly. Then you justify all of that 
that lore that you find that connects you to that human saint all of a sudden like i never look at all these things that are very common in my life (laughs) it all goes back to uh robert runtime wilson's the thinker thinks and the prover proves we're going to justify what we're going to justify including the beauty of the two behedrises becoming anchorites in later incarnations um aunt and niece and the celebrating of the 29th episode on the 29th of june i know there's there's other lore even with salome of this specific uh salome her real name is edberth i think um hmm. and because of her dancing ability she was nicknamed salome um so there we go right like more yeah. layers of of like they're aware of who these like na- who they're named after right like yeah. this this is this is a known context it isn't you know again people in the past weren't being ignorant just because they didn't get their theology off twitter yeah absolutely there's, so there's 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 additional lore out there, especially in the churches that are dedicated to them in, in, in any form or put them on, you know, they are still part of the calendar. There is felt to be enough historical evidence that they're not removed from the calendar. But, you know, that, that she is uh, the daughter of King Ofa um, and Judith is the the, the younger sister of uh, the wife, uh, Kennethrith. I'm not going to be able to pronounce Old English in any form uh that's appeasing um but uh that you know the father's a warlord and there's everything going on and which there's this whole thing with perhaps the daughter uh not enjoying her husband too much um and uh poisoning him and fleeing to france and charlemagne governs there and he's impressed by her and thinks he'd make she'd make a great wife and there's all this stuff that happens there there's all this lovely guy kind of like additional um lore that goes with it that doesn't really it leads up to her being why she might impose herself in a room so there's all this there's this the layer of like what's she building in there a little bit right like this this this, the the other side of like what it means to decide to you know live on your own uh what what, but but why (laughs) what are you doing in there what what did you do to mean that you had to do this right uh which again you know the, the 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 night terrors uh that she suffers from uh, are taken like the way that churches are, you know, hit by lightning as, as that, like, well, if you're very, you know, the, the holiest, uh, you know, sheaf of wheat that pops its head up, I'm, I'm mixing metaphors terribly here, you know, gets the devil's side first, right? So there's this idea of like, on the one hand, her attacks are proof that she's holy. On the other hand, there's always this notion that like the devil takes care of his own and in, and if he's coming after you, then why did you call him? Yeah. <laughs> And and this 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 distaste by you know Salome again are the kingship right of like she's the daughter of a king but then she um, marries a king and then she runs away from that king after perhaps poisoning him and then she, uh, Charlemagne's impressed by her and wants to wed her but then he brings her in front of him and her son his sons and so he's like who do you want to marry and she's like the son he's younger <laughs> and, um, so Charlemagne sends her to a nunnery. And then at some point she perhaps um, sleeps with a visiting Saxon to the nunnery. Maybe not. She would, you know, he appointed her the abbess of the convent, you know, just to, to keep her because she was of royal blood, but that she decided to go on a pilgrimage. And that's, that's the reason for her pilgrimage after the money. Like I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it reminds me too, then of there's a Tibetan singer, uh, Droma, uh, who is just, amazing singer but in the interview or in the early days they were asking her like what made you become a nun and she's like because life for a woman is either marry and have children or if you want any independence whatsoever is become a nun and yeah. she's like I, you know i respect the choice that i made and i'm I'm all about my 
my religious vocation, but it was like, this was to have freedom. And there's something in that too of like, eh, pilgrimage sounds good. Thus Judith goes out and, and, and finds her and that's what you get. Both of them are, are really uh, just happy to be around each other again. So, uh, and, and Salome is said to have been very beautiful and a good dancer, but did turn away and say, I don't want to be around men. And that, that's, that's the reason for her seclusion and to repent for her past. So we also have an, an instantiation of, of a Salome as a kind of person or a kind of woman, usually yeah. with a finger pointed at her, of having lived a certain way, uh, even and especially if they end up living a very pious, uh, you know, opposite version of that supposedly salacious lifestyle. Yeah, which is always interesting too, because I mean, the biblical Salome is right. You have Mary Salome, who was there at the crucifixion and is actually mentioned in the Gospels. And mm-hmm. in, in some traditions, one of the sisters of, of Mary the Virgin, mm-hmm. uh, of, of the three Marys being, you know, all, her actually being Salome, but being called Mary Salome. And then in some versions, also being the um, one of the three Marys that goes in the boat with Sirakali across the, 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 the stormy seas with no paddles um, that, that Sirakali calms down by throwing, offering her head wrap to God and to mm. the, the devils of the storm. And that's, they land peaceably in France. And so there, there's many Salome's there's a lot of wonderful blurs and it's the same type of thing of like, I can't hear the demand for separate cults um, because it, they were always blurred to begin with. And that's fine. And I'm sorry if we can't even keep modern, people not confused for each other in our, our media. I do not know how you're going to expect ancient people without the, you know, face recognition to be so separated yeah, um, or separate myth from logos and, uh, and act like there's an importance that you do uh, for, for as far as the devotional side of that. I am a good creature of the nineties. Um, <laughs> my education was primarily the lesser key of Solomon as to like, there are other demons that exist, but here are the ones we, you know, we call the, the, the 72. And so my education about his is, or bilet or bailet or um, any of the permutations of pronunciation or spelling that can happen. Yeah. Uh, but 85 legions under his command uh, rides a pale horse, lots of music, if I remember correctly. And uh, just uh, an interesting one, right? He's, he's, um, connected to the Noahic legend and, and Ham uh, calls him up to help him write a book on mathematics. So he's like a patient of engineers and yeah. um, you know, the, the hard sciences of like numbers. Um, and uh, he likes to scare the, the, the carcist, the conjurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you are invited to be brave and to carry your hazel wand and draw a bunch of triangles um, because math and geometry is really his theme. Uh, I know it's supposed to contain and there's supposed to be something, but I just love it. Like there's some math stuff here and you have to draw a bunch of triangles. The um, host of celestial angles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, putting the angle back in angel. Uh, mm-hmm. and that, uh, I, this is uh, one of the silver rings, right? The, the, yes. the, yeah, the, the ring of virtue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that to pay respect to Bellis rank as a king of which there are seven slash nine, let's say um, nine, uh, nine whole that are seven whole that are kings in the 72. And then nine are, there's two more that are kings, but also other ranks. And that always confuses all of us. Yeah. Um, so seven by, by, by virtue of office and two more by virtue of list and, uh, not to, not to bemoan them at all. Uh, so that the recognizing the rank of the king makes you have to wear a silver ring on the, uh, is it the left hand? 
and, really and to hold it up, which is interesting to show, like, is it to pay respect to Belleth as a king or is like, I am of equal rank? Like, what's going on here? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the middle finger of the left hand as well. So there's that like saturnine thing along with flipping them the bird. Yeah, yeah. No, this idea of what it means that they, in the various translations that they will only speak when there are princes present is one way it's sometimes put, which can imply... It could, it could be a number of things. There's other entreaties to treat them courteously when they turn up, uh, this spirit. But does it mean they'll only talk to you if you've expressed princely conduct, if you've expressed the badges or offices of a prince? Or does it mean that you have to summon them with other spirits as well? And especially if this is about like spirits that will license the the encounter or the conjuration to even happen in the first place, we're, we're, we're looking at a navigation of the not just the the infernal hierarchy, but the the conjurational protocols themselves. Which I mean, if we're talking about you know Billeth from from you know straight up uh, lesser key, we 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 have a lot of we have a lot more evidence uh, or a lot more information to work with than we do many of the other offices because Billeth is one of the the spirits in the the seventy two the Goetia of Solomon uh, that's cons- that, that gets called one of the long form texts, which is to say, sure their office you know, include, you know, a king, like you said, with the the the, the fallow or the literally pale horse, which is an old uh, medieval symbol of deceit, apparently, but also that there's a bunch of conjurational instructions. So not just they turn up like this, they have this many legions, they can make you go invisible or teach you liberal arts or any of those other kinds of things. But then also, hey, here's how you conjure them, uh, which is, we, we don't usually find those kinds of things in spirit catalogs, certainly not spirit lists. They're usually in the the, the how to call them section of a grimoire. And so, yeah, there are all sorts of bits in that long form text of Billeth. There's um, the, yeah, like you said, the hazel wand, which is specifically to draw the triangle outside the circle, which is where we, which seems to be where the popularization of the triangle of manifestation comes from. So it's interesting that you're directed to, to draw that between two uh, uh, directional points, that it isn't mm-hmm. just placed in the, in the east, it's placed between two of the cardinal points. Uh, yeah, south yes. upwards, I believe. There we go. Then there's yeah, there's the ring of virtue, or potentially the ring of Solomon itself, uh, and then these yeah, these these various interesting too, right? Isn't there? Mm, yeah, you think I prepared better for this? I'm going off some some ancient things in my head here. I believe isn't there a bowl of wine outside the circle as well? Yeah, if you, if you if the place is it says if the place is inapt uh, to do a triangle, if there isn't room or it just you know the, the land isn't isn't working for it, then yeah, there can be a bowl of wine. Um, and the exorcist shall certainly know when he is cometh out of his house with his fellows uh, and that the aforesaid Billeth will be his helper, his friend and obedient unto him when he cometh forth. This itself is a, is a, is a far older practice of putting bowls of water as well outside of the, the circle, which is, uh, is sometimes said to be for scrying, uh, at least by modern commentators. And it's yes, sometimes said to be some kind of purification or maybe even an offering, but primarily it's talked about as being, uh, a not even a trap, just a a bell. Like the the bowl will be hit uh, and and will potentially slosh or move very kind of like uh, uh, Jurassic Park, right? When the spirit is present or when the spirit leaves, so that you have uh, a physical marker of the comings and goings of these spirits you're working with. So mm-hmm. the, the the wine seems very familiar in in that context, as well as being some kind of um, place that they, if not container, then at least like landing pad for them. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, the, there's the kind of use in various Afro-Caribbean practices, including Afro-Brazilian, the 
notion of clear liquids versus dark liquids and if it's in the room like it liquid allows things to come through right it's always a portal the other side and the kind of primordial waters of apsu type if we really want to take it back and be universalist about it um <laughs> the you know the waters of ginem being below the waters and all these other things Kalunga and all these wonderful things we we like to muse on but also that when wine is involved then you do have the dark mirror right like there's something even added to that of uh sustenance so is it there's just so much that it could be it's really interesting when people propose it's just for this one thing right, right. Like, like why is water on an altar is like it's not to represent it's wet water, <laughs> um, it's watering yeah it's it's doing what water does and therefore can be open to myriad of interpretations i will say that the mirror angle is interesting not just in terms of a circular thing potentially placed in a, a, a triangle if we were to combine the two and we're into some very pogrenian territory about like this is the true black mirror uh but we do have an example of uh, a mirror that is associated with in one spelling at least bileth uh which also brings yes. up the connections to llt which is uh the the munich manuscript of which uh Kierkefer writes uh, uh for uh, CLM 849. So in, in, in that text, in that necromancer's manual, we have um, a mirror called the first mirror of Lilith or Lilet, um, or, or, or spelled, you know, the LLT way. And partway through that text, the spelling of Lilith changes to Bylet, B-Y-L-E-T. And, um, and so that raises some fascinating um, uh, uh, conjecture at the very least. I think uh, I was reading through uh, Jake's Pandemonium about this because it's it's a, just a, a fantastic concordance of various spirit lists and where we find spirits named other things. Because, you know, again, these demonologists are aware that these spirits can have more than one name or title or or job description. And he, he says that our Bileth undoubtedly is a, a very important spirit herein and was previously identical with the equally potent figure of Lilith. Yeah. Uh, so it seems that there's, there's some... There's, that gets played up and certainly Billeth is a is, is an important spirit as a senior spirit not only found all over both the demonologists reports from Vea, but also say the Libra de Spritz uh early well uh, late 15th early 16th century French uh catalog of spirits uh also they're found more widely in like Juratus as a uh, uh, first minister under King Arkham uh so a Monday spirit in the west they're on the presidential council of the great kings in uh, the book of offices as well, along with like uh, uh, Gordon Iser and, and a bunch of those other spirits who we're told are senior and have a kind of and are in a gang of some sort. What what, what Jake called the the presidential council, but we're not entirely certain where that fits in with other groups of senior. It's always except that the presidential council seems to be underneath the four principal regents when we organize them by that. And uh, Bileth is found as a senior spirit uh, under a Maimon as we, uh, earlier. But th th there are also these other like working committees almost of senior spirits who may turn up in particular directional like cardinal courts, but also seem to be doing something with themselves. And how prince and king get translated uh, makes it kind of tricky to work out you know, when we're talking about that. There's another uh, dimension to the um, the titles of spirits, which is through Jake's work where it's pointed out that in some translations it's said that not only does Billeth turn up headed by trumpets, orchestras, and a great many other kinds of musicians, this these these tinkling bells and timpanies and and tambourines and stuff that is often a marker of these senior spirits who are turning up with a retinue. That it's also said in some translations that she won't speak uh unless her knights are present. Uh or that like she uh that um 
there is a, a sense of trooping the knights through not to work with them, but so that she is more inclined to work. And this, this, this to me raises some really fundamentally interesting uh, things around this sort of nigromantic conjuration that we can talk about intermediaries on intermediaries that are you working with that spirit or asking that spirit to send a familiar who is more specific and, and bespoke to the kind of work you're trying to do. But are you getting at not just summoning another spirit off that back of that spirit, but what are the spirits you need to summon to cohere that spirit to speak to you and to work with you more, right? That there's a sense of like firming or strengthening the presence of this spirit by calling the other ones that serve them. Yeah, it was well, interesting too, because you're not just going up the hierarchy as is usually talked about, right? Then of like, it, you're not talking to me, so I'm going to go to your superior. You carry out usually, and you're talking about if I'm understanding correctly of the opposite way of like, let's call your retinue so that you feel appropriately praised and welcome. And is that what what you're saying? Yeah. 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 It seems that if we're, if we're to go off that, that reasoning and it it seems Jake says like, this might make sense of why the night, why there's either only one night or there's several, if we take turns up as a soldier, which is sometimes Miles as well. Um, if we take all those examples of appeareth as a knight, but is a, a duke or what have you, those might be relevant as well. That like, yeah, exactly. You're not just uh, you're not just going up the chain to seek more authority. You're not just going down the chain to seek more specificity. You are conjuring other spirits. And, and, and it seems that all you need to do is to like name check them and they will parade through around the circle and then either stand off to the side or go away again. But yeah, exactly. Like, con- like the, the conjuration of this senior spirit might require you to call other spirits not to do anything specific other than secure her presence. Yeah, exactly. Get it. Get, get, get them comfortable. Um, it, it's very interesting to think about too. With I think there's because there's always so much pride associated with many of the kings. Many of the you know we just we hear this and certainly the you know the connection to a Maimon is interesting because a Maimon also has a ring. The Munich manuscript that you mentioned is the same one that's in Forbidden Rites, I believe. The Kikhefer, I'm memory. Is, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, Richard Kikhefer. Yeah, who's lovely. Yeah. I got to meet him at a conference once. He was very nice. He's another one of these um, uh, folks like me that like clearly can't control their their neck or their like facial reaction and someone speaking and was just like in the back nodding along, which which made me feel great. <laughs> someone you want to play poker with? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I. It, it makes me think more about water too, because I know there's a lot of um, Billeth associations with water by some, I think it's Driscoll that, that does a lot of, in the Stormbook of Honorius, uh, oh, yeah. Billeth with water specifically, and then um, with the moon. So water is not a, a huge leap, but interesting right. the, the thing there. And I know um, it's worth mentioning because we don't always mention this, but specifically with the 72, that um, the controversial mentioning of Dr. Rudd, and yeah. be constrained by the angel Jezalel, um, if I'm going to pronounce it in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, not to be confused with Jezebel, because anyway. And so just this constant king of hell things comes comes in. Um, I also want to revisit the fact that, that, that it is technically, as I mentioned, the first um, demon called by, by Ham, uh, Noah's son, mm. after the flood. And so therefore the first demon to give him permission to, to walk in the new world. But also to point out that Ham is considered to be the father, the first necromancer. Right. Um, and that's not often talked about. Um, and so I think the, why is that? I mean, like uh, the, where Ham gets, uh, is cursed, right? Because he he's the father of the Canaanites. 
so there's some interesting stuff going on there about the the relationship between Canaan uh, and and uh, Ham and and Noah getting drunk and falling asleep naked, which you know there's this whole thing of seeing Noah naked and the brilliance of God that's there that that Noah in some traditions is horned like Moses with light, mm-hmm. um, and so the first necromancer is associated with all of these things too, which is fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in one of the, one of the long form texts for Garp, who is uh, primarily another you know spirit associated heavily with with water in some cases. Yeah, that uh, that Ham, son of Noah, invocated Bileth and made an art in his name and a book which is known to many mathematicians. There were burnt offerings and sacrifices made and gifts given and much r- wickedness wrought by the exorcist who mingleth there with the holy names of God, the which in that art are everywhere expressed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the sense of, and, and again, drawing on this like art of Solomon, but doing wicked things with it. So moral of the story is like, if you see your daddy naked, like, don't look at it. <laughs> she walk backwards and be uh, cursed. Um, and am uh, I getting confused here? I should read. Uh, oh God, is it Lumba's uh, race in early modern Europe again? Um, is is it Hamlet who is the, the the is sometimes said to have been turned black by seeing by by God's unhappiness at seeing his dad naked? Or am I getting confused here? It's not a part of the story I remembered outright, so I don't I don't remember. Um, I'm sure both of us will Google that in a minute. When the other one is talking, um, yeah, I just—it's interesting. Like, okay, then there too, just as a mental conflation uh, or or rambling, we're talking about Billeth and and the wine that is put outside the circle, and yet Billeth is the first one associated and called up by Ham, who saw his father's nakedness because his father became a, a vineyard keeper after the flood mm. and got drunk on his own wine. There we go. There's some wine connection. Anyway, that's the definitive reason, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I mean, pour wine out, call Billis so you can see naked naked Noah's body, maybe. Mm. But Noah being such a, an interesting figure, right? There's a lot of stuff to there to explore with Noah. And it, it's, we know, I'm going to, I'm sure many Masons will be upset, but, you know, we know that a lot of what is now considered to be Solomonic in Masonry um, throughout history has also been equally or previously, let's say, Noahic. Mm. Uh, and the the building of the Tower of Babel as well, um, and the you know the those relations with there. And what is the flood if not its own form of weird exile, right? And and privation from the rest of the world, the the, yeah. the, the world um, yeah. building ark um, to carry us through. Um, yeah, there's something. Yeah, really not just being taken away from your your home or family or culture, but like that it's erased, that it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Bill, quite interesting. Um, any understanding why in, uh, De Plancy, uh, it's Bill is strangely a cat. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> frankly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Reading, uh, through various offices seems they're generally, yeah, a great and terrifying King. They're often on horseback. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what De Plancy's going for there. Uh, honestly, no. Um, and and I'm I'm softening. I used to really dislike all of those and their um and you know and their their kind of ubiquity in like modern demonology. But um I'm I'm growing to like them. I've been doing some some research on uh, uh, asthma day at the moment and uh, yeah, looking at the the the, uh, the Plancy illustrations there is uh, they're, they're, they're fun. They're fun. But no, I have no idea why what the cat thing is about. Except. Except that there is a 15th century case of uh, 
uh, Negromancer. Oh, I'm maybe getting confused here. English Negromancer, 15th century. I want to say William Big, but it might not have been. But they are arrested. The the tale is that they are arrested. They're running. It seems they're running some kind of scam whereby things go missing and they are hired to find the missing things, but they may well uh, be in cahoots with the thieves that stole them in the first place. And the right that's found, uh, uh, or the, the, the reason it's it's a known case, as opposed to you know a mysterious nigromancer went and did a thing and no one saw anything and thus didn't report it, is that they're, they're invoca- invocating Bileth and they do it with the circle of a cat skin. And they even put a, a live cat in a box and bury it. And it is a bunch of villagers wandering past this crossroads that hear a cat meowing under it and dig it up uh, that reveals that this nigromancy has been going on and eventually the 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 party, who is inevitably some like, you know, junior clergy member or something at the local abbey uh, is arrested uh, for it. So there is we there is some scant evidence of working with cats when 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 calling Billeth um, in terms of the circle or even as a sacrifice. Um, so it might be that, but it certainly doesn't. I haven't seen any of the offices where, you know, they appeareth in the form of a, you know, ferocious cat or something. I had a friend once, uh, uh, John, if you're out there, um, I do have friends. It, um, <laughs> friends, friends, friends. You definitely have friends. I do. Um, so his proposal, lovely Kayote, uh, lived in Williamsburg uh, in the late 90s, uh, lost touch with him, you know, as one does. But uh, felt that the, his, his drunken, I think it was really more of a marijuana prophet or, you know, philosophical understanding <laughs> of things. Um, but his, and I always took it to heart because he was like, you know, I think one of the reasons demons appear so fucked up is because uh, we don't speak Hebrew well or anything. <laughs> and we are telling them to appear in various forms. And they're like, I had, that sounds like cat. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like, <laughs> like human. What the fuck is that? Like, you know what? Here's a little bit of everything. <laughs> and I found this to be quite amusing and perhaps not inaccurate. Yeah, a helpful spirit. You know, if you if you go off the emanation body in Buddhism, like okay, I can appear as anything that is helpful to get the message across to this human. Um, they really want a, what sounds like a cat in a black sock hanging from what was a pinata hook. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. um, yeah, yeah. No, this to me really evokes some of the the the, the fascinating and frustrating um, hummus of the mulch. Of the 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 corpus and paper trail of these these nigromantic grimoires, the the admixture and the and the vacillation between, you know, when we know a manuscript was copied out wrong, and a, a, we know for a fact that like this manuscript was was being copied from this one, but suddenly there are these changes in it, uh, producing often producing you know um, uh, uh, duplicated spirits who then start turning up and doing their own thing, so. Uh, and certainly we see this with like, uh, is it a misspelling before you have a standardization of spelling? Is there such thing as a common mispronunciation, et cetera? Uh, there is this, this no, sense of, like, of, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, and I think more to the point, what this gets at, especially in terms of like, if our language skills don't match up quite, it, it doesn't necessarily mean nothing is going to happen. Right. This, this idea of uh, that I think is, 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 is cooked into a bunch of, 
Western Neoplatonism that if I say the right things in the right way at the right time, this is a password and the universe has to do these things about it or has yeah. to respond in this way. These laws that I have navigated and, and, and manipulated as the crown of creation, as opposed to thinking about like, it might not have been a good song, but it was a song. Right. As opposed to saying, like, unless you do exactly this perfect thing, no connection will be made and nothing will happen. Uh, you can go two ways. Right. You talk about the catastrophism of like, well, are you sure that was the spirit that said it was who it was when it turned up? Someone's going to turn up. You're making a whole bunch of hullabaloo and maybe even like, say, bringing a dinner bell. Right. Something's going to turn up. That's the, that's the kind of uh, potentially like a uh, 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 slightly paranoid angle. The other angle is like you might not get the exact thing, but they might be able to hear enough in the crackling signal between the noise to be like, OK, I think I'm hearing cat. OK, I guess I guess I guess it's cat. Like that makes total sense to me. <laughs> I, it also it spurs. Uh, and we've had these we've talked about personal uh, dreams and, and you know, permute not visions, but let's say daydreams of uh, what it's like to be called and beckoned to me like, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> let's figure this out. Um, right. I think there's something quite interesting for as a writing experiment to like write from the perspective of each demon of like, what is it like to be, what is your idealized place where you are in the other worlds and then have to be summoned to me like, and this person's Christian. And like, oh, <laughs> Orthodox. Like, okay, yes. Ow, that hurts. Oh my God. Ow. <laughs> and oh yes. Of like, okay, what do you mean? Um, right, right, right. There's, so there there seems some. There seems a lot of like kayfabe going on. To borrow that like old carny wrestling term, right? I'm gonna. We're we're both pretending, uh, and this is the this is the instantiation of the performative act. Yes, absolutely. I I, I feel like there's something. Um, or at least a, a, a narrative I'd like to read there, perhaps a radio drama for us to create in the future. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a um, uh, again, not to go too uh, full on Pratchett Pagan, but uh, one of uh, Pratchett's early Discworld books is called Eric. It's about an aspiring teenage demonologist. And he he summons, he tries to summon a demon to give him, you know, the traditional, you know, live forever, marry the most beautiful woman in the world and own all the treasure in the world. The, the, the basic setup is that one of the, the running uh, recurring characters in in the Discworld, Rincewind, the very cowardly wizard, is in the end of the last book is banished to hell and is so trying to is running through hell trying to escape. And when Eric summons something from hell, he opens the portal and and Rincewind comes out. So it's this uh, this spirit who has been called from hell and as such by the rights that work now has powers to grant those. Uh, those wishes and they're all like monkey paw versions of that wishes to live forever means that he goes right to the beginning of time and has to live forever uh those kinds of things but the idea of like yeah a person who was just in hell that's been shoved into the role because they came through the door marked demon uh, uh yeah no i, I yeah it, it, it plays with a lot of those perspectives uh, and it made me think of that no I, I yeah i think that's something worth exploring There is something I, I think uh, fascinating here in the, even in the conflation with Lilith, again, this theme of seclusion and exile, self-imposed or not. Um, mm. And that, that sometimes when we, when we rebel or, or have a strong decision, we are so strong in our conviction that we will accept the consequences of it as there's the, in the Welsh triads, which were, you know, held up in, in modern Druidism, of of being like you know very sacrosanct things but 
I love that there's this phrase that rewards and punishments are not the consequences of our actions, but the properties of them. And mm. that, that this is very much in line with what I think about crossroads methodology. And the, the, the only thing we are bound to is the outcome of our actions, right? The only thing we are slave to is the, the, the consequences of our actions. So choose carefully. Um, right, some right. things are worth it and we might not know what those unseen consequences are. So we don't necessarily know. And this is, this is part of what wisdom is, is predicting mm. Consequences of any action might be, um, and sometimes we're not always right, and, and and especially those divinations that are trying very hard to play on divination being a study of ancient um, or at least past action, past yeah. uh, repercussions of things, and applied to a current similar signature of energy, right? So, Which is where we get those those lots of fates, right? Yeah. Of the of the you know the seventy eight cards or the sixteen figures or or, or what have you? Yeah, 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 yeah. A way of are, uh, especially with like things like if I write it's an odu, it's a it's a it's a womb of possibility. Once we identify which womb it is, then it must manifest in a certain way. But there are various ways for it to manifest. I I think there's something interesting there with uh with many of the things we're talking about, and I don't know why my brain is going towards walnut specifically. Um, but there's something in the connection of Lilith learning the name of God and using it and and um, casting herself out from the garden. Uh, mm. it, like, I do not want to be here. This you is not fire me. I quit. Yeah, exactly. And, and that walnut as a tree, especially black walnut has this thing, right? Where it changes the soil content around it so that it's less hospitable for other things to grow. It, yes. walk, it, 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 it walks its own way, paving a road of isolation, except for its own kind, right? Like, cause it will fruit and other walnuts can grow around it. And some plants, plants, can grow around walnut, but the reputation, especially, is things that fruit do not grow near well. Grow mm-hmm. well, like tomatoes are are, are uh, part of the because there's so many walnuts up here. Um, it's an invasive, and and uh, the lore is that like if there's a shadow of the walnut tree touches, then then the tomato won't grow. It won't fruit. The plant might grow, but the it will not fruit. So like it's just it's interesting that if it breathes the same air. And of course, walnut leaves themselves, which look, you know, um, if you, as far as leaf shape, right, the leaflet has many um, paired leaves as it goes up. It looks almost like an ash leaf, very, very citrusy um, or or a high, weird, spicy citrus smell to the leaves when you crush them. And to the walnuts themselves, which are in like slightly larger than golf ball sized circles that you then have to break open to reveal the walnut, which will also dye your hands dark bluish black, greenish right. blue. And so it's a primary dyeing plant, um, dye as in, as in coloring um, and uh, up there with like oak gall and things like that, that you can make ink out of this. There's also, um, you know, before getting into a lot of the other folklore, cause I'm uh, walnut is a fascinating plant. It is protective precisely because it's not a nice plant too, right? It, it, it yeah. hopefully, things away so by planting it near your house it will hopefully keep other people that are trying to settle near you away from your house and similarly it was felt to because it's a jupiterian tree and it's jupiterian because walnut is one of the higher iron content trees as well much like oak um Mm -hmm. gets struck by lightning more often and so if you plant a walnut tree near your house lightning is more likely to strike the walnut tree than your house so here you have a, a prophylactic um, use that is both sacrificing the tree, strangely, um, mm-hmm. as the like the lightning rod that you need. Yeah. A little bit of the scapegoat in there. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. or at least the the straw man, right? Of like, yeah. let's figure this out. Um, 
I I also know that the, I having grown up with walnuts in California, it was something my family originally grew that and, and oranges before before we got into cattle and everything. Um, you can uh, pickle walnuts, um, mm-hmm. pickle them, uh, the fruit, the immature fruit. Um, and so it has the nut in it, but like, it's not, it's different, right? It's not, it's not the nut you're pickling, but interestingly in on the West, even though it's the same species, technically the, on the West coast, they don't produce a grit that the East coast walnuts have. And I have found, I've been curious about this. I tried to pickle things a few years ago and it's like, these are very, very gritty. I don't understand what's going on here. Um, Hmm. similarly, they're used in alcohol for flavoring things, the immature fruits. Um, that's an Italian tradition, I believe, um, that is common still here in this area with, with the, uh, the Italian immigrants that came a hundred years ago, you can flavor alcohol with it, but it does not pickle the fruit. Well, they're gritty, they're grimy. It's just like, it's suddenly it tastes like, it's like when you have sand in an oyster, I know you're not a, a, a meatitarian anymore. Um, <laughs> sand I, in I, a- I remember oysters. Yeah. Yeah. I, so yeah. Anyway, I think, I think, uh, walnut itself is uh, a truly amazing tree. Uh, the Eastern black walnut is yes, different than the Western one. And as the grit has proven to me, um, <laughs> I, but um, they're, they're very common in bad soil. Um, mm. So they're a pioneer species. And you find, for instance, on, in, in, in this area where the soil is terrible, um, you know, I, I still love the local lore that like God created the rest of civilization and then ran out of dirt and created the Catskills. Um <laughs> And that's why all our lore is about the devil farming for you and removing rocks and shit. <laughs> so many stone walls is because like, what else are you going to do with stones? But that black birch, black locust, cherry, um, and black walnuts are are all over the place here. And especially with the abuse, this area suffered at the hands of logging up until the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. That like, as part of this kind of regrowth and rewilding, that walnuts, black birch, black locust, and cherry are all climbing in. Um you know, it's, it's interesting. No, uh, much the same, much the same things. That's, that's, that's laying out a lot of the, the, the stuff that I, it, just this, this continual way in which they are so Jupiterian and yet so Saturnine as well. And I'm not limiting them to only being expressions of those planetary virtues, but yeah, this, this continual sense of their, their Jupiterian nature, the, the, um, uh, at least the, I would, so I was reading, um, uh, Becky's, uh, blood and spice bush, uh, blog posts on the Eastern Black Walnut on Juglans uh, Nigra. Uh, I thoroughly recommend everyone go and check out and Spice Bush. Uh, amazing stuff, especially on like Appalachian biodiversity and things like that. I'm pointing out that it's you know the Eastern Walnuts, uh, one of the most valuable timber trees, one of the most valuable hardwoods. You know, it has that that beautiful um, brown, like rich uh, heartwood. Uh, going into again their their poisonous nature, they they are what's the word I learned allelopathic, uh, yeah. releasing chemicals from the from from both the roots and the decaying bark and leaves. I didn't realize that um, that the chemical is called uh, juglone, absolutely yeah, juglans, but sounds very insane clown posse to me. Um, yes, absolutely, <laughs> uh, but I, I also didn't realize I knew about how they will like cast a circle, and I've thought about that a lot because they're. That was we'll get to there. They're an offering for spirits connected to circling in in the Grimorium Verum, uh, as well as wind. But um, I knew that they kind of exuded this uh, area of effect around them, and so kind of cast this inverse fairy circle of like making it very difficult chemically for for certain other plants to to grow nearby. But I didn't realize apparently since as early as like uh, the like 
77 common era that parts of the the walnut like its its roots and its its bark and its leaves and stuff were actually used as herbicides as, as antifungals and antibacterials uh, so they would be deliberately planted um yes. and so like the piece of the thing carries some of it as well it isn't just like its seat of power at, at, you know in its circle yeah plenty of that uh of that saturnine poisoning right there the fact that the you know the, the one of the most infamous uh, sites of Italian witch gathering and, and sabbatic business is, is the, the, the walnut tree at Benevento or the trees at Benevento that they're meant yeah. to gather under the, the shade of these, like these poisonous trees, um, that to, to fall asleep beneath the walnut tree has some of the same law as some of the, the other black trees like elder, where yeah. it's thought to cause either madness or prophetic dream or, or, or both. So very kind of saturnine. And on the other hand, like, yeah, Literally named, you know, Juglans, meaning nut of Jupiter, right? Referring to the, you know, uh, right, the the balls in his in his big bad thunderpants, exactly. And I like this because it 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 brings in this this notion of like fertility and uh, a certain you know a certain kind of uh, vivaciousness, we might say. Um, that carrying a walnut in the shell was thought to increase fertility as well as having all sorts of stuff to do with the head and the brain through the, the walnut fruit itself looking very kind of brain-like. And then what's interesting is just seeing the admixture of these Jupiterian and, and Saturnine uh, kind of, if not influences, then like, because um, I'm, I'm not claiming they're direct, but I was reading in, in, in Bulgarian uh, folklore that apparently it's said that you should plant a walnut tree before you begin certain tasks or, or, or projects, uh, because otherwise you risk uh, premature death or becoming estranged from a loved one. And I like that this kind of combines this idea of its, of its poisonous, deathly virtues with those of, of love and of, and of isolation again, right? Um, this, 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 this lightning law again has a sense of like, okay, it gathers lightning, but is that a good or a bad thing, right? Uh, it's seen as attracting it in some cases, and so you would plant it far away so it didn't hit other things. Uh, in the Ozarks, it's explicitly about drawing lightning, and so uh, from from what I've read, and so you know it's regarded as particularly daft to put a walnut tree too close to your house, right? There's stuff around again, a little bit of Jupiterian influence. There's stuff around. Oh yeah, I was reading in Hyatt uh, uh, about like Southern conjure and African American hoodoo that a black walnut. Uh, he, he reported that uh, someone told him that a black walnut carried at all times prevents headaches. Again, this idea of, of linking it to the brain and to the head um, and that dreaming of opening or eating walnuts was said to be taken as a sign that money was coming back, was coming soon. Um, so we have this, again, this kind of prosperity, but only like in the head or only in dream, like the idea that like it can cause madness or prophetic dreams uh, or maybe both. There was an interesting one in terms of heads, uh, and head magic um, that Vance Randolph collected in, in Ozark Magic and Folklore that uh, Corey at New World Witch quoted, which is how I kind of came across it, which is um, uh, reporting a tale. A mountain girl of my acquaintance placed a lock of her hair under a stone in a running stream, believing that the water would make her hair glossy and attractive. But another way to promote the growth of hair is to bury a twist of it under the roots of a white walnut tree in the light of the moon. And so again, this idea of Keeping bad things away from your nice hair rings a, 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 a ring, rings true rings a some kind of important uh, or, or significant bell for me in terms of like personal engagement with with with, with walnuts and, and using them uh, in working with in uh, the spirits of the Grimorium Verum Bechaud 
the uh, the Verum's uh, wind devil and also the Honorian demon of of Friday is said to take a walnut as offering. Vera, uh, uh, Bechad is the the patron of um, the GV's uh, circle knife, uh, which is also done by Jupiterian Timings and Association, as opposed to Verum's a, a two knife system, but it doesn't but it's it doesn't look like it's Athame and Boline so much as uh the circle the, the knife for casting the circle, which is in, in some manuscripts is said to not uh be used to spill blood at all, which again, not unfamiliar with Athame and uh, and Boline Boline um uh, law, but is opposed to the martial butchering knife in uh in Vero. Yeah, specifically. The one knife is is done by Mars to 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 kill the goat that you're going to skin and prepare the pelt for to write the pact on. And the other is the circle knife. Mm. And so working with offering walnuts, um, working with walnut oil in some cases, I found it it, it did a great job of um uh lubricating, for want of a better term, lubricating spell work, uh lubricating um the the transitions that the blustery wind uh pushes things around um with uh, it was also a way of like <laughs> overly using walnut oil because it really does like stick to the hands real easy and makes everything very unguenty um uh, uh also has the capacity to like you know things get scattered to the winds as well uh but playing with uh walnuts as as informed working with uh with this wind devil and uh and start to move into uh, working with more of the shells because the shells in, in folklore are reported uh, a fair bit uh, in the Ozarks. I think it's said somewhere that you should burn walnut shells. If you leave them lying around, then they're going to rot and produce, they're going to draw bad things. Um, it's very reported in Italian folklore about like using a, a, a walnut shell as a container spell, but you do also see it in English magic. Um, uh, Elias Ashmole has a bunch of reports of, um, uh, making uh, of, of of making a charm, which is like a uh, uh, trapping a spider either in um, a walnut or a nutmeg uh, in um, and, and again parallels with Southern Kunja, uh or or using it to contain uh, mercury uh, as well, and those those are used for a mixture of health and then like some very specific things as well. Yeah, there's I think to some of the some of the admonitions of not leaving walnut shells around in this in the United States has to yeah. do with the fact that black walnut is the shell is much harder than English walnut and okay. uh, it will hurt. It can pu- pierce the skin. So you cannot shell a black walnut by hand. Um, oh. English walnuts you can. You yeah. need to use a hammer um, or a, a strong nutcracker on black walnuts. So um, I think there's, I think there's a practical reason for that too, that this, they're not good. They're not used as much as um, mulch the way that some people use excess nutshells as mu- as mulch. Um, because the shards are painful. Um, so I think there's something, I think there's something practical to that. It's also a preferred wood. I know that in, um, uh, Amish country, the, what we call the Pennsylvania Dutch, which are really Pennsylvania Deutsch, right? Um, yeah. German, they, yeah. they sought out walnut fields to, to build, to, to claim as farmland one, because there was ample timber. Um, and two, because it spoke to the fertility of the land, because that's, again, it's an early pioneer plant it lays the groundwork for other plants to grow after the walnuts are cleared. Um, mm. Walnut does put nutrients in the soil. It's just while they're growing that damn insane cloud and posse power. Keeps, <laughs> keeps. Um, and yeah, exactly. So, and, and tomatoes and apples are, are specifically um, what are, you know, 
I think birch keeps away too, but like, I'm not looking at birch nuts all the time. You know, like I'm trying, it's, it's the things that you can grow in this area. We have a lot of apples because apples will grow in crappy soil too. Um, yeah. And you know, that's just the lore of this area that I like exploring, but also that walnut is used heavily by um, the Pennsylvania Dutch, as well as the new Netherlands Dutch uh, to, to make furniture um, in the 17th and 18th century, even to the 19th century. Um, and it was often painted um, in Pennsylvania with the same uh, iron oxide paint. Oh. Um, red. And which of course we know is connected to lightning and, and, and lore in, or at least is proposed that it's connected to um, preventing it from being struck by lightning when it's a barn and things like that. Yeah. 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 I'm reminded of the, uh, <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. I think <laughs> the Ron Swanson lesson about uh, if you are uh, using a walnut to um, repair scratches in furniture as well that you can if it's not a, a you know it's not a, a, a super deep scratch on a lot of wooden furniture you can rub a walnut on it and it will uh it will patch up and the oils of it will will stain it so it, it doesn't look as noticeable yeah walnut walnut oil is some good shit uh walnuts are uh some of the trees that are both hit and used to hit so if walnuts are not producing fruit like people would beat them mm. and and because it can take it right um uh, it rises to the challenge of like you're gonna hit me i'm gonna I'm going to hit you with a bunch of walnuts. Right. Um, but also that uh, one of the things that's happened folklore um, and forgive me, I'm, I'm to the audience. Al knows this, but I'm very much researching local folklore and things like this, that it's a mixture of, of Dutch, English, Italian, Irish, Polish things that are in the area of the, of the Catskills. Um, hmm. But uh, using black walnut uh, rods to smack apple trees that are not performing. Hmm. Um, like this and so like if they're if if the weather shows that the apples are not following the sequence like here there's a very specific sequence of what blooms uh, everywhere right you every order is is very local certain plants will bloom while the snow is on the ground and then certain trees have to go into flower when that tree is starting to, to drop its flowers another tree is pick, picking up here yeah. before apples right so in in my personal yard there's going to be star magnolia then the pear will bloom by the time the star magnolia is done and then the apples will bloom um, yes that sequence is very important. And there is a like window of time that that happens, but it's not the exact same time every year. But we, if you want good produce, you want them to bloom earlier, obviously. And so mm. try and speed things up that if we're behind, they'll go smack all the trees with black walnut. And that mm. could also be because of its invasive nature, there's just a fuck ton of black walnut. So it's hard to know for sure, but there is something to punishing the plant with a plant that will say, you won't grow at all if I don't want you to. Um, mm. something about that of the rep or maybe it's the fertility of the you know the balls and yeah. carrying influence so both are there it's weirdly both as you said saturnine and jupiterian um which yeah yeah these these tendencies of it to be both like the bad guy with not necessarily a heart of gold but that does good yeah the grumpy uh witch on your land that isn't entirely always actively trying to murder you um yeah. this this admixture of its like um of its uh helpful and and destructive sides i i also kind of read maybe i'm reading a little much into this but thinking about it as a tone wood for building guitars or other um uh, stringed instruments um it's it commonly regarded as being uh good for like bright treble basically it like it i i, I was reading in on the on taylor guitars that it, it said it it 
it has a more present mid-range, which splits the difference between rosewood and mahogany. So again, like, even if we don't go off knowing how those things sound in guitars, like rosewood on the one hand, again, not, you know, not, not a million miles away from the malice of apples and mahogany, this like dark, strong, like, uh, uh, wood. Right. And the, the, the other thing that's interesting about it is especially for, for basses, um, it said that the, um, it gives a, 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 it starts off deeper and will fill out after being played that the guitar after years of playing will start to um, kind of enrich that bass heavy treble. Um, and so, the, yeah, just thinking about how the, the wood corresponds to the sounds we make out of it, um, let alone the, the beating of other trees with it. I think a lot of us Jupiterian, associations I'm, I'm remembering because I was going off on a you know rabbit hole the other night about um Amalthea mm. uh, the 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 nursemaid of of Zeus yes uh, and then that started a whole thing of the the different sibyls like one of the sibyls is also called Amalthea I believe the uh the Kumai sibyl one of her names is Amalthea oh and and then that's this long rabbit hole we're going down here. Uh, but that's part of the whole sibling lore. And I, you know, I always return to sibling prophecy and like some of my I, I enjoy the Catalonian uh prophecies, the sibling prophecies that happen um on Christmas Eve where they actually sing about them leading mm. up to Christ. Um and the anyway, um yay sibyls. Uh but I think about Amalthea and the and the milk that that medieval walnut, so European walnut is extremely good for producing walnut milk mm. uh, which as far as just production and everything like you got so much out of it and the fact that milk in medieval times was so uh milk from whatever source you could get it from was an important part of nutrition and yeah. that walnuts themselves are so as uh, and again we're talking um juglans regia um is is you know royal almond uh a royal royal walnut excuse me um is the european and the english walnut and the versus Jogos negra which is black walnut or american uh they have different tastes protein contents and things like that and again the european walnut you can open by the hand um just mm. open um they have a good flavor they produce lots of milk um they're very fertile in that way and then there's just you know the the lore after that point yes walnuts in general but especially black walnut when it comes in um, it really, really fucks with things and then adds that kind of um, herbicide, uh, just killing things in, in general. I don't know. I, I, I do think that there's something in there of like the wrath of Jupiter, interestingly, with walnuts or like mm. a, a sonic Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that um, that I have a friend who her own and I'm sharing it. So it's, you know, with her permission. Um, uh, but that for the victims of Zeus's uh, lust that walnut is a sympathetic tree. Um, yeah, that, that totally tracks. So because of this kind of uh, rape and, and, and non-consensuality that Zeus seems to, to, to be in, and that's part of his mythic cycle, right? The lightning strikes and it's not necessarily always good for where it struck. Um, but that uh, he, you have this lore with the walnut here that's going to, to understand maybe the walnut has that, preternatural sympathy with it of being struck by lightning and then saying well fuck everything around me um you yeah 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 the the the, there is a sympathy of 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 for everyone else that's been struck by the force of lightning in whatever 
form it takes. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. Yeah. And again, a bunch of Saturnine stuff around the refrigerative nature of things uh, from Agrippa saying that if women want, you know, that one of the ways of shutting down sexual assault is to wear a cloth that has been wrapped around a corpse, that this carries a weight of melancholy that specifically, you know, will prevent an attacker from getting it up, uh, but also will like freeze them and, and make them fearful of you. I think uh, it's also interesting because I know the Roman association is specifically with Juno and it's, it's easy to uh, equivocate to, to, to bring up Hera with this, but Juno is such a radically different permutation um, as this picture, the home and the, the, the matron in a way that is, I don't think is not there with Hera, but there's certainly a martial aspect to Juno that is different than Hera. Um, The, the, the wall is associated with this, um, this specific, turn of events that it also belongs to Juno. Um, and it, you know, the, the throwing walnuts is like throwing rice, um, uh-huh. for fertility. And that I believe there's some myths of the walnut being what the gods ate, eat or ate in ancient times when they were walking along the earth. Mm. And this is just the, the perfection of the fruit. And so there's, there's lots there. There's also some anti-witch lore, right. Of, uh, if someone has, done some negative magic recently that if you drop uh, a walnut uh, into the lap of someone who's sitting down, if they cannot get up, it's because they're a witch. Oh, mm-hmm. another one of these can't get up ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I know that uh, Karia, uh, I think it's Karia is the, the, the Greek mythological, uh, the, the chosen lusty recipient of Dionysus um, that when she died, he turned her into a walnut tree. And the Katiatides, uh, the 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 women who are the columns, oh yeah, are are said to be nymphs of walnut trees. Oh, uh, so this is uh, there's something interesting there, right? This this uh, protection and and kind of both like protecting the temple but keeping things away. The kind of hekas hekasas de bebeloi thing that could be with with such walnut things. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Also, uh, Ishtar Astarte connections. Um, and I think the 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 fact that we see both Jupiterian and Saturnine connections with it, even solar for some people, yeah. um, but that it is not Aphrodite that is coming through here. It is Ishtar Astarte as like goddess of fucking goddess of war. Um, yeah. And like that's that's a different pairing than like love and sensuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean to belittle that. I just mean there's there's obviously a different permutation on going on there with Astarte and Ishtar. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think... Um, Walnut is a is is a, a really lovely, strange plant with a lot of lore. Um, yeah. and it's a it's also a plant that we hear actually get to see and interact with, and we see it just kind of take over an area. And because of that, I think it's 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 great to to know there there's this um, book that's like the trees of the city of New York that's like lists 274 species of trees, and it gives you examples of like really nice exemplars of like oh in this park this is the oldest ash tree or this is the oldest oak oh awesome and um that book also has this whole even on the back cover it's basically like when you start to realize what trees you can recognize it changes your whole landscape because you you start getting excited when you recognize Mm. and i even in friends who are foragers like yes herb plants are one thing but for some reason trees because they're so rooted when we start recognizing trees and what they are uh it changes our relationship to the land and so i think um i think it's because they're at our height we don't look they're not under our feet we actually Mm -hmm. see so there's something to knowing like, okay, that is a walnut and that is a birch and that is an elder and that's a catalpa and that's a, you know, whatever mm-hmm. 
So I think uh, I, I encourage that side of it of like, walnut is around. If you if you don't know what it looks like, research it, find it. You will find it growing in so many places, especially yeah. here on the, in the east, uh, the northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's substitute as like it where things call for pecan up here. They used walnut. Does not grow up here. So lots and lots and lots of crushed walnuts in everything. Uh, and uh, it bakes very well. Walnut, uh, Eastern walnut, black walnut uh, actually says to bake better than English walnut. English walnuts are better for eating raw. I've been enjoying going over a bunch of like, you know, the the, the, the crystal Bible and a bunch of uh, a mixture of where geology turns into, you know, more of, uh, you know, new thoughts and, and, and more modern crystal healing, just to see like, what are the, what are the things that, that come up again and again in the language? There's talk of black tourmaline specifically being grounding of offering protection of stabilizing, of talking about connecting or reconnecting us to, to base chakras, sometimes often actually talked about like absorbing negative energy. Sometimes that's even explicitly talked. You don't see a lot of discussion of malefic here in the crystal Bible, but like of ill wishing uh, and things like that, that it's uh, got this uh, crazy property of becoming electrically, uh, electrically charged by, by rubbing it or by heating it. Uh, that this is pyroelectricity or piezo piezo electricity uh, from pressure or rubbing. And that this is one of the, the main weird tricks that it's used for, at least during the 1700s, that the, the Dutch traders, speaking of, of the Dutch, um, or at least the, the, the Deutsch that sound like the Dutch to English, um, they use tourmaline to pull um, ash out of their pipes, their, their Meerschaum pipes. And so they called it the ash puller, uh, Aschentrekker. So it has this quality of like pulling ash and things that will stain or things that are the product of burning or of destruction it will pull them towards its, itself. Um, the, the, the name tourmaline, which obviously covers a lot more colors than just the black one, uh, I read came from ancient Sinhalese, uh, tourmaline, meaning a mixed color precious stone, or turamali, meaning something small from the earth. And that it belongs to a, 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 a weird old family of um, aluminium uh, borosilicates, which means it, it mixes, well, well it, it does mix iron and magnesium and various other metals. So we do get it in, in a variety of colors. Um, but the, the black really stands out. The other colors have a bit more variation in how people use them, it seems. But the black is pretty distinctly about grounding, protection, and, and, and definitely helping you avoid or, or deflect negative energy, but also the idea of, of, of doing that by absorbing it. So a lot of kind of parallels to a certain extent with like Nazars and other devices that don't bounce off Maleficia, but uh, uh, absorb it, like take the bullet for you. Come up with a lot of stuff around people recommending, in contrast to Nazar stuff, where it's frequently recommended that periodically you wash them because they're, you know, your fly, your fly filter is now full, right? Uh, I, I, the one I've heard with Nazars is is, is mugwort uh, infusion. I haven't re- read too much about people washing tourmaline, uh, having absorbed like too much negative energy. I work with it uh, extensively for working um, the virtues and spirits of Kaka, the uh, earthy, saturnine, geomantic figure of restriction, binding, isolation, uh, but also um, protection 
uh, absolutely the figure of of quarantine. And I, I, I use it for a variety of things that we can get into this sense. And I especially like using raw tourmaline for that. Um, this this capacity for it to uh, abrade, but also to um, pull towards that there is again this like gravity to it uh, of 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 and, and again lots of parallels with like melancholy virtues and mysteries of of the gravity of of the weight of heavy cold dark things that that pull things towards it. Um, so I often work with it to set up little um, little spirit houses for 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 carcass spirits or as a little working point um, with black salt and uh, maybe even um, Solomon's seal sometimes as well to put those in a, in a dish and to put that either by a back door or a place where extra protection or focus is needed. Um, uh, again, for me, it's, 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 a, it's like that saturnine thing of like, yes, sealing off the hermetically sealed vessel, but then also what what is the work that's done inside that kind of circle? Um, and those are, you know, uh, in terms of circles and Karka having a very, you know, like like walnut casting this circle of 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 a sort, uh, a circle that pushes out and that prevents and that starves. Even working with black tourmaline in circular objects like bracelets and um, necklaces and other beaded loops as well, um, the the capacity of it to be in a in a chain seem and 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 to therefore potentially be facing all directions when it it's laid out also makes a lot of sense to me. I you know. Black tourmaline is not a stone that I am particularly like tuned into. I know of its reputation, and a lot of people I I respect really swear by it as a as a, a particular mineral. Um, I find a lot of conflicting information on it uh, hmm. as far as like where and when and who's using it and what are what are the ancients using it for, and then other people being like, ah, its descriptions are all modern. Right, right, right. Because you got Tiffany and Co. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it said that it's like there's a, there's a huge spike in popularity of it. If not, it's beginning a jewel mineral in like 1876, I think. When um, yeah, 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 1876. After, Brazil, after it's discovered in Brazil, right, so right, 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 right. And that's in Maine. So yeah, people are discovering it all over the place. And and to say it becomes popular because of a certain thing. And that therefore takes on modern associations doesn't mean someone wasn't encountering it and using it in some way. I'm always interested where stone deposits are because th- that doesn't mean that there's going to be local lore around it. Quite the opposite. Sometimes we just don't value what's right under our nose commonly. I was watching a thing on um, uh, witch bottles that uh, Wayne Perkins did for the last Tuesday Society this week. And uh, he, he pointed out almost casually that um, in the places where Bellamine jars are made, they are almost never found being used as witch bowls. It's only yeah. when we import this like thing, this rare thing from somewhere else that must be so magical. Absolutely. Uh, the, the stones as well as the grass are greener or blacker. Ancient sources, or at least very commonly known sources, do are Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, China in general, which are all along the Silk Road. Mm. So know that it was brought in. It does feature in Egyptian things, but modern deposits of Mozambique, Nigeria, Brazil have increased. And like the crystal market is this whole other thing that we can talk about, the beast of what that is and the, the right. huge of child labor that is used to extract stones and, and just, it's pretty scary. But um, uh, as opposed to, you know, God forbid, most of our ancient, op- you know, operative magician people in the past are going to be using, like, I found this stone at the crotch of a, of a tree. And that's why I have it. Not necessarily because it's 
garnet. Like those other yeah. things. This is, this is the tool of trade and aristocracy, sure. Um, and rarity is what makes things trade wonderfully. But, you know, of course, the, the warding, the, the, I, when you said cleansing wise, I don't see liquid washes a lot with it. The people I know who use black tourmaline tend to smudge it, uh, uh-huh. saint, whatever you want to call this with smoke. Um, mm-hmm. Smudging has a very negative connotation uh, when applied to native practices. Smudging is to get rid of pests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it, it can it can have a certain thing. But smudge is, a, is an English vocabulary word as is sane, which has a more um, positive connotation, right? Um, right, right, right. Often, yeah, it's very, very, very Scottish, yeah. Yeah. And you do see, I see a lot of people recommending things like Palo Santo specifically, mm-hmm. you know. I love Palo Santo, but it's also endangered. And so it becomes <laughs> overuse now becomes it's rare and it makes it, it's kind of like when we were at the, the witch fest and um, Timothy Landry talking about uh, voodoo in, in West Africa and the, the rare object trade. And that it was funny because not funny, how peculiar and ironic perhaps it is that Western outcry against the inclusion of things like gorilla hands and pangolin scales and things like this in the market specifically made it more known that those things were higher sought and so yeah. people started hoarding them and selling them for even higher prices which put more demand on uh, I wrote, uh, gorilla hands and pangolin scales tim if I'm, I'm misquoting you i apologize but the thing that i took from that was like you know sometimes our it's better just you don't know what the repercussions of your actions are going to be and Western outcry against something or disgust with the practice might in fact make it worse. So the rarity factor in that way is interesting. I like that black tourmaline uh, or excuse me, brown tourmaline, which is a close relative, right? Of, of dravite or dravite. Um, and here we're talking about black tourmaline, which has all this lovely absorption of negativity things that in addition to the sacred smoke kind of clearing it, I do see it rested a lot on salt. Not- oh, you do? Yeah, so the kind of Himalayan pink salt, it seems to pair up very strongly with that. If I've seen just people I know that rest their black tourmaline jewelry over like the Himalayan salt crystals, the big pink mm. ones. Um, apparently, if you get it wet, it will eat away at the tourmaline. Like it's not good for the tourmaline okay. um, to be on the salt. Again, this is all uh, word of mouth in the, I'm not, I didn't, I don't have a lot of new agey crystal books as much as I feel like I should. So um <laughs> which is funny because I know some some really great authors in the current magical community who are crystal people I just forget to you know buy their books I apologize um, <laughs> no that's that, fascinating I, I I that's what I do I, I change out the black salt <coughs> in it periodically and maybe scatter that or take that places or use that for things um but I, that was that was just from divination and asking those spirits like how I could do this I'd, I'd, I'd never encountered anyone else doing that that's awesome yeah I think uh the other side is because it's it's fragile right yeah. it's hard to use in jewelry um because like even it, you don't even find it faceted a lot you still find you find it very raw a lot yeah. um just because it, it's it's fragile and that fragility doesn't lend well to the things we would normally use it for so right. it's have a ring it's often looks like a giant weird shard of glass you know sticking out of it. it's it's fun for that kind of raw edge gem um that's 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 very popular yeah um, it looks old yeah it does and it looks like a weird form of jet which i always wondered too like when i first saw it I, when i was younger i always thought it was jet um just because i didn't I, you know yeah and it's not as heavy as other uh again because that fragility it's not as heavy as other like you know, obsidians or things like that. And even that has a, a, you know, a dragon glass quality too, but like onyx or something. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite as light as, oh my God, is it even in my hand jet? But uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not dissimilar. 
Yeah, it, it is. It's although it's fragile, it is still durable for every, you know, it's not it's not going to break easily. It's just not anywhere near some of the harder gems that we do use mm. in, um, you know, uh, conspicuous consumption. So, yeah, I don't have a lot with Black Terminal. I just thought it was an interesting one because of the, uh, you know, walnut is both protective but pushes things away. And Black yeah. Terminal actually invites in and uses the, the Black absorption power in some way to, like, negate, transform, perhaps transmute uh, negativity. And and doesn't seem to trap it so much as actually credit with transmuting it, which is fascinating. I have seen, I've not seen this by anyone I trust. Personally, that doesn't mean that I mistrust people. It's just that I don't know their sources of equating black tourmaline with the current dress of the Kaaba um, being um, in dressed in black because the Kaaba has not always been dressed in black. Um, oh, okay. I've seen kind of like, oh, it, it's just as the Kaaba transforms prayer and represents the heavenly Kaaba that's above it, um, uh-huh. that God, that the black tourmaline is similarly, um, the things swirl around it. And, and circumnambulate it in order that they might be transformed similarly. I like the metaphor of this, which is why I mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that this is ancient Muslim wish- wisdom, but yeah. So yay, black tourmaline. I I I have found it uh, just the other day in a in a Brazilian post saying it belonged to Bombardier Rosa Carreira, and I was like, I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> oh yeah, well, I, d- I maybe didn't see that post, but it was a yeah, it was a Brazilian post about like the stones of Eshu and was going over um, smoky quartz, which I've seen used, but I, I wasn't aware of it having like a specific modality uh, for use uh, with 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 Eshu of Kimbanda. Um, yeah, there's, it depends on some of the houses now and some of what's coming out. You, see, I mean, Instagram is really fun to see what people are promoting as information on a purely yeah. investigatory and like you know historic historic historic. Historiography? Oh my God, whatever. Historiographical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Getting a survey of, of what the stories people are telling are. Yeah, there's certainly ones that are coming out more like almost like um, it feels like trading cards again in some ways of like <laughs> specifically and here's her colors of candles and here's her colors. Here's what she wears and here's what she likes. And all those types of spirit catalog things are fun. It's just some of them are so at odds with literature from the 60s and 70s or even those that I know from 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 houses of, of like right. past so it's interesting to see again um everybody's mileage is going to vary and and all of that is one of those things that like ultimately if the spirit says it likes that thing who am i the fuck to judge you know exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. spirit likes that that goes by that name does not mean another spirit by that name will like that so it's all the more important reason to understand how um spirits work in general that like you know although it says uh you may you may invoke belleth and yes, a silver ring might be in your hand and Beleth may be like, thank you for that, because I know that you did your research. But maybe <laughs> I would prefer a diamond ring. Thank yeah. you. It doesn't matter if it's silver, but like diamond is more important in your culture. I want diamond. Mm-hmm. Like that would happen. And it would not be out of the realm of ordinary. The other thing that you would want to do, I'm just saying as a practical thing, is that if you do not have a, a fail-safe check and you do not work with the spirit all the time, don't just do everything because they say it. Because right. maybe the diamond now that i'm not to not to single you out but i have no experience like this this is all hypothetical (laughs) is going to be the thing that allows them to get one up advantage on you which might lead us into our next discussion because you had mentioned a quote from somewhere about spirits or this congress being about things that you do in isolation yeah 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 yeah. it it, it cropped up for a discussion of, of seclusion and exile as a kind of I mean, another potentially long walk on a, on a short tangent. Yeah, I was um, uh, listening to a podcast. Uh, it may have 
been it might have been Douglas with uh, 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 what magic is this? It might have been Alex uh, uh, Glitchball, but it was a uh, interviewing um, uh, Craig and uh, Frata Acker about uh, uh, their new book and the and the artist Jose as well, and they were talking about um, in a wider discussion of magician and specifically like their model of like a, a goetic magician being an outsider being a, a a stranger in familiar places being familiar in strange places and this this idea of like when we are part of society and when we're not came up and it, and, and 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 there was this big emphasis on on ritual as solitary as like um spirit work is is done if not best but or, or at least mostly with as few other humans distracting you as possible and certainly there's there's all sorts of recommendations across uh, the, the the Grimoric corpus and and even the the archaic Goetia evidence that we have of recommendations this stuff in lonely and unvisited places or ruins or woods where you will not be disturbed um, and so this 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 idea around like when are we alone with the spirits and when are we you know engaged in the world but not engaged in, of the world but not in the world but not of the world or, or whichever that's way around. yeah yeah whichever way around that goes and I, I think that's really important and 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 definitely is is a, is a huge component but uh it, it made me think about not forgetting ritual as communal for a start so i think most of you know experience of of folks coming out of like western culture and paganism that's gonna evoke you know seasonal festivals and the decorations and songs and things and i can see a split there between like magicians being like, but what about summoning spirits and, you know, uh, uh, folks who are more interested in a, in the religious and, 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 you know, not a dirty word, social and interpersonal aspect of their uh, religion or spirituality or, or engagement with ritual. I also, th I think most people are familiar with that idea, but might still be like, but that's not ceremonial magic. That's not actually going and summoning some spirits. That's us all honoring the, the, the spirits of the season or what have you. And it made me think again about a, a category that that I've been considering a lot more that I, I don't see talked about as much in, uh, you know, the, the the milieus we call Western culture, which is the idea of ritual that emerges from familial settings of uh, the, the real like life and death stuff of ancestral veneration and the reciprocity between the living and the dead there of uh, of a coven or a or a or a, or a, a god family being a, a unit that that keeps each other safe, that tries to support each other, doing their own thing, but also was part of a unit that that you know th th this whole notion of of of, of fostering uh, both branching and rooted boughs of a, of, of a family tree. And I, I I think about that in terms of you know some of the yeah some of the most like valuable and like affective affective as well as effective uh, things that have affected me. Uh, 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 rituals and, and conjurations I've done, sure, have, have been on my own, but but also some of the the ones that have been most meaningful me, to me have not done in huge community, a big big old festival, but have been done with my 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 god family, with the 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 people I have, you know, these fictive bonds of of kinship with, and that them being in the room isn't a distraction from the spirits. It, it's it's a way of seeing how my spirits interact with their spirits. If we're even going to talk about locating spirits. As 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 around human people, as opposed to the spirits of the the things we are working with together, and 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 so this dimension of again a long walk on a short tangent potentially, but this idea of of seclusion and things being of, of you needing to be away from humans in order to hear spirits is at odds with some of of my experiences that I found most transformative and and powerful and sacred, frankly. 
And so I, I think that's that's worth bearing in mind. When do we when do we seek the dark and the isolation so that we can we can get this writing done and and hear the the spirits of the book come through more easily? And 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 when do we not have to like worry about the the cat shredding something or or going crazy or uh, or, or the dishes needing doing or any of those other things like that? Again, that that romanticism of the of the writer in their you know in their garret chain smoking through a typewriter. But there's the, when we get to the reality of what it is to to go into the dark and then come out again, there's the, there is a component of needing to come out at some point. And sometimes you can go into that dark with others and if not have the same experiences facing the same direction and be supporting each other in, in your own endeavors of exploring the dark alone together. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before and, and I'm going to pull upon a tremendous benefit of having been with Jechi for so long, um, theater group Jechi. And understanding the group as a mirror, I am not a social person by nature. I do not like being around large groups of people. I, you know, they always say that's weird for actors. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not me when I'm acting. That's different. <laughs> right. Or something. So I, I like solitude. I like my own time. I always have. Um, I don't mind being around people, but I, if I'm around people, I want to make sure it's because I'm getting either attention for something that I did well, but not too much, or just leave me alone in the corner and I'll watch. But that said, uh, the group is a mirror. And I hate, you know, these kind of aphorisms that come at you, like you just keep repeating it. But the idea that there is nothing that you can do singly that will not have more information about what your opinion of that or the veracity of it is when it's brought before a group. Mm. And that is not to mean that it will be comfortable. That is not to mean that you have to accept when a group is just being stupid or like, because we can be judgmental about the same group the way we are about ourselves in the sense that that group might not agree with you, but if you're firm in your research and you're firm in your experience, it won't challenge you at all. Mm-hmm. But what it can show you is that you're incredibly insecure about people's opinions. <laughs> so there is always something to be gained from the truth of the mirror of the group. Now, when we can choose that group, as compatriots along the road, because, you know, Chumley talked very specifically about the solitude of the path and that even amongst friends, it's a, it's a solitary path. You know, our experiences are our own. We all die alone. Uh, however, there is something to the, pr- the probation, the, the proving, approval uh, uh, of the testing the metal of your convictions so that this is how unverified personal gnosis becomes more verified, right? right. It, this is this is how we can say, oh my God, like you're saying you have no concept of the salt and stuff, but like there's things aligned. You're like, that's gratifying. Yes, it's bias fulfillment. At the same time, so is language, is literally <laughs> agreed upon bias fulfillment of like, we agree that this word means something. Um, and that, you know, I have now have a new word for this thing. So I I think that there is something, and again, I don't know the original context of the quote, but I think there's something interesting there and in, in, in exploring all of our topics of walnut pushes things away and tourmaline invites in and there is that need of the saturnine and the jupiterian kind of both in there right um because it's funny if if saturn is restriction saturn actually gathers things in right like the circumscription of 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 delineation of boundary means that it encloses something too uh not not just puts it on the limits and similarly jupiterian although it's expansive expansion is pushing away from the center so it's interesting the 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 very common opposition between those two forces that then by their nature father and son have to contain their own lineage somehow um backwards and forwards um And, you know, I think about, you know, Aphrodite being born from, from Saturn's sack. So I, there's, there's a lot there. I, I, 
I think about, again, returning to group as mirror, that a small group of people that you trust, again, that can hold you accountable, that you can do things with, that type of thing with spirit interaction, I have found less advocated for in the ceremonial magic community than I have in, say, the witchcraft community, where covens, small covens tend to work out better than large ones, because there's, there's several things being done. Communal celebrations of seasonal cycles are about communitas and about uh, alignment with a natural timeline, um, not necessarily about other works. And let's, as we've discussed before, when there's large pagan events, large events of any sort, the number one thing people want is communitas. Yeah. You know, there are people that go to conventions solely so they can get laid. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Uh, good for you. Have fun. That's that's awesome. It's very hard to do, you know, 202, 303, 404 studies when Everyone's barely agreeing on the 101 as the groundwork for what is actually about having a community that you feel isolated. And so, I don't know, It's I think it's extremely complex. I am reminded of the Castaneda, problematic as he is, of like Don Juan saying that you had to move away from everybody and everything that ever knew you if you're going to become a good sorcerer. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it is, you know, a prophet in their own house is not recognized. And so all of those things come into mind for me. And and what is it also, I want to make sure, because it, it it also speaks to our other discussion we've had about um, uh, how do you know what's talking to is what's talking to you? Just because you mentioned a bunch of names of God? Right. Um, just because you may have done 38 out of the 40 days of fasting that was recommended. Um, <laughs> as you have completed the Abramelin working and feel like you have knowledge of, of your HGA from 20 years ago. And so now you never have to do the, the, the things again, as opposed to um, developing a proficiency whereby you would do those rituals in a much faster frame of mind, or at least even mentally be able to do what used to take four hours physically is now 20 minutes of mental prep work. Um, and other times you still go back and do those things. We see this within um, uh, practices we know very intimately, very well of like, Sometimes rituals call for a lot with and and sometimes they don't. And you know what changes that is trusted divination and um, a community that you can call on that's outside yourself and say, hey, I've got to do these 20 things, but 12 of them I can pass off to you guys. Can you do these while I do these other eight things, please? And then it's like, okay. So I I don't I didn't necessarily hear an admonition against community or group in that statement necessarily so much as that. Uh, to ultimately you are responsible for your, your spirit interaction, like right? unless of course there's, you know, rapture and uh, abduction and things like that mm-hmm. um, haunting obsession. Um, so yeah, scratch what I just said, but that perhaps it is that, you know, ultimately we die alone that ultimately each of us spirit alone, even when in group that we can't trust that what we're seeing and hearing is necessarily part and parcel of what everybody else is seeing and hearing. And we can compare notes afterwards, but that is the benefit of the group or the lack of benefit. Yeah. Uh, of of singularity of 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 isolation yeah yeah and i think it, it points out that the you know the the notion of of unverified personal gnosis it, 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 you know is is done in 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 isolation as well is it you know that that the, the, these gnosis gnosis uh are not only verified by proper and trusted divination but also by their use by yourself and by others right we could you know it's it, it it 
it's not the hardest thing in the world to, you know, sit in front of a sigil and pull out all of the potential things that this spirit might want or be be moved by or, you know, uh, uh, to curry favor with it by giving it a bunch of offerings or so on. But likewise, if we can see a part of it, if we're going by the, you know, the 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 blind men feeling up the elephant, then that's a piece that can be shared and a uh, 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 something that's helpful for other people can still emerge from your practice with care and attention uh, w- a- as long as we are aware that all spirit interaction is is bespoke. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I the threat of ostracization to the same people that would have been goes in the past would, is is real, right? You know, I, I'm reminded of um, Time Enough for Love, the Heinlein quote, The there's the longer part, right? A human being should be able to, was it change a diet? Oh, do all the things yeah navigate a ship take orders give orders yeah yeah. Yeah. it's one of my dad's favorite quotes specialization is for insects yes Um, Yes. that again and we've talked about this with traditional kabbalah of like you have to be a certain age have a family have a trade already established so that you have a family that supports your study of the esoteric so that the labors are being done because uh past the aristocracy of well, it is my job to study this because of those weird pseudo-Brahmin-like features of an <laughs> magic community that was the literate community. Mm-hmm. Like, weird thing of like, well, my needs are taken care of because I have servants. In the modern era, we're still living pretty goddamn good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and magic is, is a, especially when we're talking about ceremonial magic, is is still considered upper, you know, it's not, it's not the magic, it's not the folk magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of condemnation and even discussion dispute disputing between those streams that might use the same exact spirits in a slightly non-orthodox way. They break from the orthopraxy of mm-hmm. the Gomars and those that are like, no, you must do it this way. And this is the only pure way and all else is demons, if not. And it was like, everything's demons. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just, I like the grayness. I like the thing that that itches in the back of my brain. It's like the... There's a my brain has its own um, uvula um, that's <laughs> tickled. Um, vibrates gently when you scream. Good. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Well, yeah. That's that's the other side of exile, right? Is like when we bear in mind that some ritual is done with your, you know, with some of your most trusted, uh, you know, compatriots. The idea of exile as removal, not just from land, but from people, from your culture, from your identity, from the points of power in that landscape. Like that's. Uh, that's terrifying, uh, potentially. And that's the other side of like what is imposed versus what we take on ourselves. And thinking about seclusion as a as a form of magic specifically, I think we need to think about both the chronic or the ongoing seclusion of, say, like, you know, moving to the middle of the woods indefinitely, right, of not having an exit strategy versus uh, acute or temporary uh, seclusions, which could be like the equivalent of, the, of a survival challenge rather than like just moving to the woods, like being dropped off in, a, in an unknown location with nothing but a toothbrush and a change of underwear and having to like find your way back from somewhere. Or I was thinking in terms of uh, the operative value or, or, or virtue or uh, efficacy of, of acute or temporary seclusions, the seclusion of the about to be initiated, right? Of, of either before it or during it in a, in a period of reflection or uh, of, of of just having, or, or, or having to, <laughs> getting to uh, have have a, a period of 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 all those like fasting for forty days before the ritual of of wearing simple clothes of avoiding swearing and anything that's you know uh, uh, too bright or or excite or, or will make you excitable. 
these are all versions of of a of, of a seclusion of of not necessarily the initiate going through the thing, but 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 being about to go through the thing. But that is also part of the thing. I think of um, the way that when you when you finish a, a PhD program, at least with in the University of Bristol that I did, um, you are what even once you finished your viva, even when you defended the thesis, even when the university has said yes, this has passed. Yes, you are a graduand. You are not a graduate. You're only a graduate when you have been handed uh, the charter to a certain extent and the hands have been laid on. Like that's what, that's the graduation. Like the ceremony is not just a ceremony. It is a ritual. It's not just indicative. It, it is transformative. And so I think about the seclusion of, 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 of being about to go through an initiation, a, a seed planting in you, a eating of a spirit, a, um, a road unfurled for you, a set of new ritual responsibilities, any of these things that an initiation can mean, um, that, there's, that there's that temporary uh, thing there. You're describing what Ben Gennep originated the term of liminal, right? right. So, um, I mean, Turner took it up later, but Van Gennep's thing was that there were preliminal rites, which were rites of separation, that your death was announced or that, that you were secluded from society as parallel to death. Then there were liminal rites where the transition itself, the, the ritual that you're going through. And there mm. were post-liminal rites, which are rites of incorporation, which is where you're going back into society and, and, and integrated in that way as a new being. And right. so, you you know, seclusion is necessary for transition to, to, to take place in, in at least quote unquote, the larger Indigestan traditional society. And if you're not familiar with the, with the country of Indigestan, uh, this is where uh, both out of respect, but also as a strange uh, blanket statement that many people make of like, well, indig- indigenous societies or in, it might be true, it might not be. It can sometimes be a a um, a bypassing of specificity for some person, some people's personal agenda. Um, it's, that- it's, it's a new version of the homogenous wisdom of the un, un- undifferentiated ancients right like the appeal to oh the ancients right uh uh it's it it, it um it flatlines right it 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 makes all ancients the same uh, it does it makes- not mean that those cases don't exist and certainly with and and, right. and and it was specifically studying certain uh african cultures but um there with as we move towards like uh turner's definition and things like that as ago to just the the this idea that transition has to allow, there are certain things, it's kind of like, oh, if we may take the hydro as to what it is, like mm-hmm. the criticism of, of Harner's, you know, core shamanism is that, yes, it did look at the elements from across many cultures he considered shamanistic, but it also created a kind of universalism that what we've also talked about, that the Western tendency towards universalism, even when analyzing core concepts, means that we erase actual examples that might fight against that or be variant in those things or devalue shamanic cultures that don't have all the elements of core shamanism. So it right. becomes your thing of like you have now made up a culture that people are now adhering to and that erases the actual culture so this is this is this is how syncretism works um cultural syncretism but it it's also how destruction happens of of quote-unquote traditional knowledge uh because you know it's like i remember arguing with someone uh because uh they were from a heavily researched online association with with um lemon in North American, specifically African-American conjure as souring, right? As as something that would be either cleansing or turning someone away from you. And uh, coming from a Mexican or Hispanic cultural mindset, lemons are still embraced as the fruit of love. 
which is as which was one of the I think one of the earliest times we were talking. You're like, oh yes, absolutely. Lemon is absolutely early modern, still the fruit of love. It's that bittersweet mm-hmm. um, thing that happens, that sour sweet thing where it's it's both desirable and a little bit like, oh, this is hard to deal with. So yeah, like, her up. yeah. And I, I think there's something to that of like their different worldviews there. But you also see the erasure and the absolute ire that people would have if someone used lemon in a love working or a self-improvement, self-love working and people from different backgrounds. But it just, it's one of those things that like sometimes the search for a good ingredient um, makes people think it's the perfect ingredient or the only ingredient. And sometimes when we know a little, we defend a lot. Yeah. Um, And so it's just, I think it's, there's something in there too. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. This, this, this universalism that we, you know, that, that, that is a, a, a thing that we try and, uh, you know, ring that, that bell a fair amount when we encounter it, I think rests on some pretty like simple foundations that like the, 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 the proposition that how we organize information affects how we process it. I, I don't think is, is, is terribly controversial, but once we accept that how we organize information affects, not just how we process it, but how we transmit it, right? How we replicate it, how we edit it consciously or unconsciously. That's where we start to get into the dimension of, sure, having a scaffolding for understanding how different uh, indigenous cultures do something is is is, is great and valuable. Uh, you got to, you gotta, to a certain extent, know what it is you're looking for or know the shape or the kind of thing. But again, if we are processing it to say, oh, they all do this, uh, as soon as we've entered any of those, um, uh, th- those hardline, and I'm not just advocating for, for for relativism here but the the prospect of ensuring that we are honoring the thing that we're, we're trying to study or interested in that we aren't speaking over it well it, it, and it brings up the i mean this is one of those like we used to joke that when we'd say dead magicians people would have when you said dead magicians people have to take a shot i feel like the more the more times i recommend the invention of women um <laughs> things but like um to understand that a, a yoruba woman went to berkeley got it trained in in Western feminism and went back to Nigeria to try and find evidence of this in Nigerian society and realized that she was looking for something that developed in Europe. And she was now imposing European lens and the cookie cutter of what feminism had to be as the end result of biological determinism of men being better or higher than women within a European cosmology and the reaction against that, whereas that did not exist in pre-colonial Nigeria. And so she was erasing her own people's alternative Two, and perhaps a, a way to look at it and go, if we look at pre-colonial Yoruba, there are actually alternatives to a world where women were less than men. And mm-hmm. we can see structures that developed apart from that, that, that yeah. now could inform and complicate and generate new alternatives, as opposed to erase those alternatives because we're looking for the Western uh, specific uh, measurement of those things. Right. Um, and... Anyway, they, a lot of things happen there. So, so seclusion, this is one of the things of like the benefit of the mirror of, of like, if you go back and other people might point out things that you did not notice mm, yes, or, or help you save you from yourself. Or, you know, as we use in, in Kimbanda for some lines of like the concept of the mayoral, not just being the most powerful issue, but the thing that pulls us back to ourself to provide a head to a situation that does not have a head to keep mm-hmm. one's head to keep right. the head cool, to make decisions, to realize that agency is about the future, not just the satisfaction of the now. And mm-hmm. those types of things come into play, I think, with seclusion of like, I don't want to be around people versus I need to collect myself and be not distracted are two different things from what are you, you know, the, what is the line from Sound of Music that I'm going to misquote and people will yell at me, but, you know, you, you can't run to the Abbey to hide, Maria. 
you know, this is not where things are going to be. This is not a place to hide. So, and and we can see that even our saints, perhaps, of her running from her own past, or at least trying to repent, and then choosing to live apart from all the men in the world, and be like, fuck the rest of the world. Oh, my 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 aunt and best friend Judith is in the stall next to me. Wonderful. <laughs> so, I, all of that is fascinating. I think this concept of exile is doubly fascinating, because exile is a forced seclusion. Mm. And we see this with um, the expulsion from the garden as a model. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think um, oh, one of the things I was going to mention, too, I think one of the things that's hard when we're looking at things and trying to codify what's right, what's wrong, is that somehow I think that there's an impact of, of the way that we, you know, this this pedagogy in the West that is still rooted in the Abrahamic faith that does not allow for an alternative. Right. Mm-hmm. That like if it's there's only one true religion type of concept and there are others that are close to ours. So they're more right than the people who are not close to ours. And that is, it's, it it embeds itself so that when we're learning and we learn a good exemplar that we erase all possible exemplars until we know better. Yeah. It's a very demonological hangover, right? Looking at early exorcism and the, the invention of saying, not just those people are crazy for worshiping their gods that way to saying those aren't gods. Those are demons like that distinct, uh, pretty Christian invention. Um, yeah. And, and, and as a, re- yeah, that, that, that is absolutely a demonological hangover of like Western colonialism that like, it still is looking for God's truth, but now the, but that, you know, even, a, even an, especially a God of science. Exile. I also think heavily of Cain, right? Cause exile is, is, is punitive. That's, that's its general flavor. You yeah. can self-imposed exile certainly, uh, but this is not usually called, or he went into exile as opposed to was exiled. Both exist, but it's punitive, whether self-inflicted or, or, somebody else inflicting yeah and even even going into exile is usually as the result of like fleeing you know uh uh you know laying low or like being at least perceived or accused of doing something wrong otherwise it yeah it, it you know i'm not going to say anything else is a sabbatical but like I, yeah i feel like i'm not sure you can voluntarily self-exile i'm not sure about that one well i think of like uh i have seen exile be the end result of another period of privation within within magical communities uh-huh. right like someone is said hey you need to take a year off and study almost like a room springer okay of, yeah. of like you're not in our part with the community you need to see if this is what you want yes yeah. you know almost like how oh god i i'm gonna i'm gonna also reveal that i'm a i fell in love with gray's anatomy during my yeah well year 16 17 years ago because uh I needed to watch a lot of TV. So there were things and I started it. And unfortunately I have to follow things until they end. We'll talk about my dissatisfaction with the last few seasons another time, or the fact that I have both no shame and secret shame about watching Grey's Anatomy so heavily. However, <laughs> where a couple was going through couples therapy and the couples therapist said, you're still cohabitating, but I want you to not speak to each other unless it's absolutely necessary at work or for the safety of yourselves or the, or, or your child um, in your home. So it was 30 days, do not speak to each other and see what comes up. And one of the things that happened with that is that the person who was going crazy, who thought that they didn't want to be with the other person, over the course of that 30 days, they switched places. The person who thought they couldn't live without that other person ended up feeling that they actually didn't need them. And they didn't realize that. And the other person who thought they were, you know, might need a divorce or might need to split was like, I can't live without you. And I really want to be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that there's something to the power of, of, of seclusion or, or self-imposed exile, if you will, in that way of like, let me take a break. 
Yeah. Let me let me see and collect myself and and make sure I have less impressions from everything else. I think of the trials of the Yawo year in in Lukumi of of the first intensity of the first three months and then the rest of the year of like you are in seclusion from the rest of society. You're an anchorite. Have you? We live in a modern world where you still have to have a job and everything, but you don't go out. You don't make new friends. You're not like out at night. You're not at party. You're not touching people. You're barely doing anything quote unquote fun. You get to be bored a lot. Um, <laughs> for me, that was World of Warcraft and apparently Grey's Anatomy, which uh, my godmother, by the way, radical uh, Black Panther, young lord, uh, amazing woman that she is, is still on World of Warcraft every day. Um, oh yeah, her guild yeah. does all sorts. She goes, she goes fishing. They've got like a. I think she's talking about doing a book sharing thing with a bunch of the, yes, the, the, the guild members who have kids and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So she's always disappointed when I'm not on world. I was like, I haven't been on world of Warcraft in 14 years, Marina, but um, it is what it is. Anyway, <laughs> I, the, the self-imposed seclusion that can come here, it's a post level, right? That before you're fully integrated into society, there's still a period of seclusion. Mm. And this is to, in my opinion, and in, in, in a collective way is to kind of cushion what was done to you. Right. So that it's not right. quite like, a baby when it's born into the world, you don't just like walk, let it walk under the can, but you don't put it on the sidewalk and be like, Hey, everybody, here's a baby. Um, you know, you raise a kid for a few years and here you have a self-raising because you're an adult or there are people taking care of you seeing mm-hmm. adult as opposed to adult is such an interesting thing. The emphasis. <laughs> so I just think there's something interesting about the nature of seclusion and exile ostracization. This notion that brings up the kind of um, there is no such thing as individual crime in a Congolese framework that Fukia right. of like, there are always signs that something is going wrong. And if the community did not address them sooner, soon enough, then the person will act out. And it is the community that then, whether or not that person is still a part of that community, because ostracization is always a possibility that you are no longer of benefit to this community. You do not want benefit. You only want benefit from this community without providing benefit to the community. And so therefore the benefits of the community are no longer yours to share in. And I understand that wonderful, that's an important part of, of consideration to understand that just because there's no individual crime is to understand, or the responsibility is not solely individual, is not to understand that there's not repercussions for your actions. Right. It's just that the community must understand the repercussions are equally shared in some form, um, or at least equal uh, experienced collectively, if not equally, let's say. Right. Um, right. And, and that is a, its own fascinating thing there with seclusion and privation and, and everything that's going on there. Um, the period of fasting uh, that takes place before you're engaging with spirits in this way that you know finding some abandoned spaces you talk about of like a building or a, a room with a balcony or all these other things that have been talked about jesus secluding himself on the second floor of for the last supper you know that like in in a in a in a building in there okay the upper room and all these other things of like going away with the people you trust so and even though you know no one's gonna betray you <laughs> well, that might be a salome or a judas you never know um, <laughs> It obviously ties into our our hermit card uh, of mm-hmm. the day, which was on purpose. And you know, the hermit has its own interesting thing that sometimes it's time hunchback, the old man. Um, you know, he's he's old man time itself that then gets put into like the Diogenes looking for the truth type of characterist. Mm-hmm. And um, the the passage of time, the the age, the wisdom of the age, um, definitely a Saturnine figure. But there is something here that although it's uh retreat away from society, there's there's a wisdom associated with this card. 
Yeah, I've been really, I was, I was saying before we started, I've been really digging a couple websites. One is, I think, Tarot Heritage, which does a really good job of showing the different phases of cards from like their emergent 15th century roots to like various like art history contexts for them. Then usually going into like Tower of Marseille type stuff, then into French 19th century occultism, and then into like and the golden dawn and then like some stuff on, on on modern things and yeah i was i was surprised to learn that um the 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 hermit is is originally carrying an hourglass and not a lantern and yeah has had all these associations with with father time also some of the early cards are, are, are big into like the ages of man and show like multiple people like a, a young man a, a a middle-aged man and an old man um the other big influence is that it, it's all as you say it's all very saturnine and uh a lot of the like Handbook, like German um, prints and engravings of like the children of the planets, especially the children of Saturn, are um, uh, heavily represented, are clearly uh, an influence on those things. And then by the time we get the Budapest Tarotchi in around 1500, the hourglass is replaced with a lantern. Uh, the, the focus on time is, is, is kind of um, de-emphasized. But they're still old men and they're still small H hermit looking. Uh, and even uh, being really interested in... Um, uh, a 1511 engraving by uh, Jura of Saint Christopher, uh, less as a giant and more as a like hermit, you know, small H hermit. Again, this uh, what carries Christ across the river, right? The the you know a, a theophoric name, but literally the 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 bearer of Christ in Christopher. And so that's that that was an interesting parallel in terms of the hermit having an interaction with someone else um where i found interesting and then we get the, the the french tarot tradition um where a lot of the the allegories of time from which are clearly like explicating like petrarch and stuff like that are, are kind of again de-emphasized except for this reference to old age which which keeps cropping up and so the images of an old man the associations are still with astrological saturn and by uh that's sorry that's the, the early uh, french tarot tradition and then we get the the Tower of Marseille, where the hermit is a lot more identified as a philosopher or a spiritual seeker devoted to a quest for wisdom. And so there's a lot of like interiority, a lot of, again, these ideas of, of living ascetically or simply or, or, or at least austerely uh, pursuing, you know, um, spiritual practices that are mostly solitary. And so at that point with, with Marseille stuff, you get a lot of the classic associations of the card with silence, uh, um, uh, kind of the, the the psychomachia to an extent, the war of the soul with the with the absence of passions, uh, celibacy to a certain degree, austerities, uh, contemplation, and and of course you know uh, uh, everyone's favorite humor, melancholy, and there are also some associations that start to crop up with like illness and old age, and then the 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 most interesting schema for me of the of the French like nineteenth century occult hermit is that um, while three of the the cardinal virtues and we already touched on that with we're talking about strength. Uh, the other episode, strength, justice, and temperance. Sometimes the the the, the triangle is squared to give the the four cardinal virtues. Uh, so, some um, tarot enthusiasts like to hold out that the hermit represents prudence as the fourth virtue, uh, and this becomes um, a big deal for a while. Um, there's the Charles the Sixth deck where the vir- where where the virtue prudence is represented by the world card, but it seems French occultists were super into. The hermit as the as the fourth virtue, and then by and then by the time we get to the pictorial key of the tarot by uh, by old dead weight, 
Hathaway disagrees with pretty much everything the French occultists have already said. So according to White, it's not about because there's a bunch of stuff about protecting yourself with the with the cloak of separation and the, you know, the the hermitage of of, of solitude and stuff. And he says it's not about self-protection or withholding yourself from the world or or even protecting your precious occult secrets uh, or really about isolation. It's not even about a quest for wisdom for weight. It's the idea is that the hermit here in a kind of return to old man time, therefore represents the completion of the quest, represents the, the quest giver, the one who knows that you go to for the wisdom rather than the aspirant to wisdom. And that he's like reached to these heights and has become a, you know, a guide on the path. Uh, I think of the, one of the ways you can break down the, the Japanese kanji of, of sensei, of, of teacher is, uh, uh, and it, it, you know, it's a little, you know, flowery, uh, uh, etymology of the of, of the kanji, but uh, the idea of, of cutting steps up a mountain, not just showing the way, but making the way a little easier for others. Uh, so the idea of the, the lantern ultimately being not just Diogenes searching for truth yourself as the hermit, but the guide who leads students to the light. And this idea of the the light as the beacon is, is I, I think, very much uh, secured and foregrounded by the fact that Waite's main innovation with the with the golden door, with the Rider Waite Smith tarot, is um putting the hermit on a mountaintop uh for for like maximum visibility so he becomes like a lighthouse he becomes a thing for others to navigate by rather than necessarily a step in your own journey now we absolutely get that with like the the the, the wealth of like what we might call modern tarot decks and designs where the hermit again does does represent either you know the the seeking of a guide or the finding of a guide or that you yourself are being called to guide uh, as well as returning to some old associations of seclusion or um, periods of isolation uh, or periods of, um, of, of, of down-regulating stimuli. I think that's probably a good way of putting it. I, I feel like even in this continued greater themes, that there's a natural flow into Amicio. Perhaps on a, some surface level, perhaps it may have actually been a closer relationship to something like Fortuna Minor giving up a little to gain a lot type of thing. Yeah. There's still something in Amicio or at least in Oshé. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and here, and Amicio is interesting because Amicio tends to differ from Oshé a little bit more than some of the other homoformic pairings. Yeah. Um, I think there's still a lot there, but, or, and, and maybe this is, maybe this is helpful to talk about because in my perception of Amicio as, as loss, it, it is very literal. It doesn't necessarily mean that loss isn't desired. It doesn't necessarily mean that like you're not going to end up in a good place. It just means there's loss. Yeah, um, yeah. It can be. It, it can be. Uh, yeah, it's a great figure for like, am I going to lose weight on this new diet? Yes, loss. Uh, am I going to get a raise at work? No, loss. Uh, yeah. the, the 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 classic one that it's 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 good for is uh, finding it in the sixth over medical or things that are affecting your health, that it represents the loss of that, of that disease, that illness, that malady, that dyscrasia, that bad mixture. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 it is, it is pretty damn a lot of the time as well as having this strange admixture of being earthy by, by many, maybe not all, but many uh, schema of, 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 of finding elemental quartets in the 16 geomantic figures. It's also very often Venusian. And and there we get it the the day side night side of of Venus's day side is Puella the lady the the hostess with the mostess the the craft the the artisanship Amicio is is Venus by night Venus after a bad breakup she's still romantic 
uh and 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 still gonna gonna find new love but uh it's 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 where love is uh not just a beautiful artisan but is a feeling of loss uh, as well and from that like the 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 mixture of it being a figure that's so that is about melancholy that's about love sickness that's about heart sickness that's about confidence that's about how we feel about our own feelings that it is it is very much the figure of ultimately what what privates are made public you know it is it is absolutely uh uh, uh the the broken hearted uh, uh lover slurring um it's it's also the the loss of the knotted up nature of the melancholies that stick to that sticketh to our hearts uh, that clog us up it is the emissio is also the figure of, of of therapy of of getting things off your chest whether that's throwing them up all over that dive bar top after drinking too much or you know uh, uh laying it all out and getting things off your chest on a therapist's couch uh, and so it has these th- these capacities that we we must understand loss but we don't have to be beholden by it and we don't have to be hollowed out by it i find it fascinating that the two venusian figures uh puella and amicia when they when they turn up together and as witnesses and produce, you know, looking for a third, produce their synthesis. It's Tristicia. And 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 this 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 uh, uh mysterious the mysteries of this triad of loss and love and sorrow, they are cooked into geomancy as a like when this meets this, this will happen in some way. Um the 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 easiest way I found to kind of gloss those three in their interactions was um as Wonder Vision, actually, like there's a line that the, the vision gives about how uh, grief is love persisting across time or persisting across bereavement, and that to love something is to is to also accept that that in time, uh, uh, as beings bounded by these bodies and this this world, at least this time round, that we will be lost or lose. Uh, yeah, so there's some like deeply melancholy stuff in there, uh, but it is also absolutely of of uh, a loss of inhibitions of of very melodramatically in some cases uh, making the inside externalized uh, whether that's you know uh, bursting into tears or um, uh, committing to something and changing your heart. Yeah, I think you know, and again, caveat, caveat, blah blah blah. Oduifa, odudilgun. You know, the Oshe is the youngest. It's the, it's the forgotten sign, right? It's it's Oshun as an Odu, we say, very stereotypically. Although in Inifa, Babalue speaks very heavily here, the blood in the vein. Yeah. And the relationship between the flow of the water in a river, like the blood in the veins. Is there, there's a sympathy here, the thing that keeps us cool, um, that sometimes overheats and makes us sick, and we seek that coolness inside us again. But that also that there's a, a relationship here between um, a, a river is happy when it's and it, it flows when it's happy um, and the kind of stereotype of Oshun crying when she's happy and laughing when she's mad. But there's something in Oshe that is it's salvation. There's something there about the, the youngest of, of everybody being the one that, that allows us to, to triumph and, and, and overcome. I remember, I think it was Fatumbi that wrote at one point, maybe his Odi book or something. He was summarizing the Odu and like he talked about, and again, this is not something everybody agrees with. It's just an interesting food for thought of 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 ten of, of Ofum being the ability of the gods to to answer our prayers 
um, and Oshe being our crying out to the gods to answer our prayers. Uh, so you see things, see things here, like so much the desire of like, uh, how do I, how do I plead? And Oshe is the pleading. Oshe is the emotions. Oshe is the thing that causes you to act because they're flowing so much. You cannot control their outpouring. And so yeah. here, um, innovation and genius is truly found. Here is where like string musical instruments are said to be born here, right? Because it sounds like crying, but mm. it'd be beautiful. And there, it's like the crying little uh, voices of baby goats and babies. And in general, like pleading the, yeah. the yellowing of Oshun's garments in mythology, because she's washing them so much because she wants them to be white and they yellow because of this. Um, that there's humility, there's trying to do the right thing here. But this is also where um, perfume is heavily found and things like that. Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, use the the crushed remains to do something new? Medicine can be born different. So many medicines can be born here. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as this kind of like commonly occurring odu that fall, um, you know, this is the, the bell curve of how things fall that there's something quite beautiful and, and mysterious in this. And this is salvation that as far as um, human traditions of, of uh, shell throwing go, that if it's when five, five Oshemeji falls, that this is when you, you have, you're now prisoner. You have to make Ocha. You have mm-hmm. to become a priest and it's fallen for more people than you would think. <laughs> so, you know, it's one out of 50, 256. And that's what fell. So there's something there that like somehow initiating will provide you with a love that you are missing that that love is the answer here and you must seek it out you must let things flow um mm-hmm. that through the loss through the troils of life troils troils and tribulations of life that there might be something on the other side of the river of tears that that if if corn will grow then rain must fall type of mentality yeah so yeah. April showers bring may flowers all these different you know whether it's traditional proverb or not, but mm. I think there's something beautiful there in Oshé and its connection to specifically Oshun and, and freshwater sweetness, the thing that makes life worth living. And that precisely because of its temporality and timeline, that joy is precious. Yeah. That laughter is precious, that good things are precious. And I, I, you know, in thinking um, and feel free to come back and forth to these things. I just, I, I feel the natural segue here, like in thinking about Amicio and its relationship to, uh, well, O'Shea and then O'Shea's relationship to Oshun. And then, you know, the, the fact that the Oshun sacred grove in, in Oshogbo in Nigeria, which is, and then uh, it's the seat of Oshun worship since time immemorial, you know, at least, you know, a documented 1500 years, if not more than that. And, and everybody will feel it's older than that. Because Oshun, you know, the Yoruba are, are a group that came in from the, that came in from the upper Nile region, um, the Sudan area in, you know, in the 800s to the thousands and, and conquered the local people. But Oshun is old. We know she's preexistent to the Yoruba. Right. That's like a type of thing. There's just these, some of the deities had to be incorporated. And, with the oh, the temple there, it had fallen into disrepair, and it was a foreign-born Austrian artist whose husband was a linguist who had a post offered to him in Ibadan, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And she, he, they only accepted married couples, which was very common. Um, and so he married his girlfriend, and she went there, and she saw him be a linguist, and they were. 
Uh, also a little shocked at the treatment of the local population by the academic and by the upper class. Um, and this pushed her to be like, I want to learn things. So she learned indigo dyeing and batik dyeing from local people um, yeah. and started befriending and investigating what it was that made the specifically Yoruba that she was exposing herself to, why they were expressing things the way they did, their, their, their at first crafts. Um, and as an artist, she latched onto these things. And she eventually divorced that husband, um, Bayer, Bayer, um, uh, mm-hmm. and then and and married again. And I believe even lived in the same building with with them uh, afterwards. Like she lived on the first floor or the second floor and he lived on the other floor. And like, she just kept living there even after he moved out. Like, it's very bohemian inspired things and she uh, starts turning her attention towards traditional religion in a way that is uh not approached by many people in that time period this is a this is quite some time ago she was born in 1915 in austria Mm -hmm. and um she lived to the age of 93 she died in oshogbo in in nigeria in 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 2009 um, I remember when she died. It was it was a it was a shock. She there are a few books out there that will detail her artwork. Some that she supposedly wrote, which was probably ghostwritten a little bit. I really love a couple of them because it's just like oh, I I feel you in this kind of tangential. Let's explore the the huge visionary way of performative writing, but still express express a lot of information. She was the books that say they're written by her are, 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 or her have her things are. She's very much in there. We think. I mean, people will say oh, there was obviously psychedelics in there too. But her sculptures express uh, this kind of reverence of other without trying to make it something different. She wasn't claiming to do ancient art, mm-hmm. but it was called, um, it gets part of the, what's called an archaic modern, um, but new sacred art. Right. It, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the archaic modern art school, right? It gets yeah. called sometimes, right? Yeah. So I, she's... She goes and she she left her 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 uh, her next husband and she goes to Oshogbo and while living in town she gets interested in the shrines that are dedicated to the Orisha. But as as evidenced by you know both Muslim and Christian influence, like these traditional religions are not as commonly celebrated. And uh, Isheshe, the traditional Orisha religions, are, are in, in very simple form. They're not huge demanding things. It's a tree. It's it's. A corner of the property it's not necessarily giant temples but there was this oshun sacred grove that was known that is supposedly where oshun made a deal with the king and promised to protect him and the people because the oshun river flows oshun is a river goddess and it flows through the town and she was in turn initiated to oshun to obatala to who we would call babaluaye known as shapona um and to ogboni the wisdom society and she was given the she was given the chieftaincy title of Adunior Orisha. Um, so what she did, in addition to making these sculptures of various forms that evoke everything from the tree spirits, the Iwin, to the dead, to Orisha themselves, to giant abstract concepts of these very like almost we in the West they compared to like alien style faces or or very um, evocative face shapes and things like this playing on traditional Yoruba art of extended cranial features to accept to show heightened consciousness when the head is big in a statue because their head is literally bigger they are possessed or they're explaining they have a lot of wisdom so yeah. he took the the kind of um impulses given by traditional Yoruba art but completely made it her own and mm. her artwork started uh decorating the temples and eventually she remade the temple of Oshun in Oshogbo itself, which had these 
flowing beautiful walls out of concrete and earth that that the the archway over the main entrance um it folds with all these things going into the ground and getting wider so there's a nice heaviness and a weight to the temple but that fold up to you everyone walks under what is a not disguised at all vulva um with a prominent clitoris of like the folds of the temple itself that you're wa- walking into Oshura yeah. associated yeah. Female fecundity, fertility, the flow of all life and femininity in large ways. And I I remember um in in talking to my godmother in, in, in this house that I'm now in, um, little physical house as well as Ocha House. And we were talking about Oshuno Shogbo, and she was first telling me about Susan Wenger, of like what that it was an Austrian woman that came in and made that grove a UNESCO heritage site. Like it wasn't, rec- it, it, it's, and it's not about the white saviorism of it too, because that gets brought up too. She did it out of pure reverence. Yeah. And it it put the temple on a map that it always deserved to be in that way. But it, I don't know, the, the grove is gorgeous. If Please, if you've not heard of it, look up Oshuno Shogbo. We spelled it in very many ways, O-S-U-N-O-S-O-G-B-O or O-S-H-U-N, um, O-S-H-O-B-O. Bo, depending on who's you know, Yoruba was orthographized or, or the, the the language was codified by the British, and um, after they uh, also enslaved a bunch of people. So in the diaspora, it's spelled in very many ways, and often spelled in Portuguese or Cuban Spanish, and then also given its own orthography later. So it gets very confusing as to how to spell things. But standard, yes, the, con- the confusing orthography is 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 a feature, not a bug of of, of British colonialism, having practiced it so extensively on the Irish. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In terms of how can we make it the most difficult for these people to write in a way that we will even consider accepting? Yeah, yeah I highly recommend um, uh, any of the books that are, are, are that show her art. But there was um, the Oshun Diaries by Diana Guerra, um, hmm. which was 2019. That that, that details Wenger's life at Oshogbo and her work on the on the Grove itself. And there's some some fascinating aspects of just like. A- her childhood as well just like from what little uh biographical information i could gather that she she went to uh the school of applied arts uh in in graz at 15 and actually specialized in pottery funnily enough uh and then also learning at the end of world war ii she designed the the cover of the first edition of a communist children's magazine called uh, unsere zeitung our newspaper i just yeah uh uh if if, if i didn't like her already like this is, this is wonderful uh from from designing uh, uh children's uh, uh uh books of communism to uh yeah to to contributing to uh the you know the preservation of the of the ocean grove so it's 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 made a national monument in 1965 like off the back of a lot of her work and like yeah. popularizing it and it's 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 later marked as a it's it's a world heritage site now as well yeah i think it's also important to to give credit to the fact that she worked with a team like mm. dozens of local artists that they developed a style together. And that's been one of the controversies that she even herself decried that it was just solely her style. Right. And she was always credited in writings of like Suzanne Menger's art. And she's like, it's a collective art. Um, right. Yes. And it was, she used that money and promoted it back from the community, but right. it's, um, you know, financial support for the building of this, of, of the temple grounds came from the sale of her artwork. It was, she personally financed it. And, and that's, that's, that's her service to this, uh, temple, both as um, you know, a kind of obatala impulse because I, I I I've been told that's who her head belonged to, okay. um, but also initiated to Oshun fully that that there is this impulse to 
to take care of this specific temple and and help it be something. Um, I don't usually like the loose application of the term magic or magician because Mm -hmm. I don't think that all things that are magical make an act of magic because magical is more a reaction to than a causal relationship. Um, It can be magical in in my reaction as opposed to I intended it to be magical from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think think it's dangerous, difficult, gray area. I, is Suzanne Wenger a true magician? Um, I will really advocate and argue that the way she approached art was absolutely magical, that Mm. she was definitely trying to tap into living traditions, learn at the feet of people who were more immersed than her and give back and sustain uh, a temple in a way that I think few people will ever experience or have any conception of what goes into. Um, I think the fact her, her dedication, personal experience and adoption both of and by a local community uh, in a traditional religion that has magical elements. Again, is she a dead magician in the Western sense? I don't know. Is she a dead magical person who did magical things and understood art as her form of creation and part and parcel with like the creator divinity that she was very close to and the creation divinities that she was very close to. She made images that people to this day will forever associate with Oshun and traditional Orisha religion. Uh, And and again, not, not, not imposing that in any kind of romanticized outsider way, but like, but by by becoming involved by by not just seeking to join but helping co-build a community yeah i do not claim to be an expert on her i am going off of the few books i've read and an adoration you know of a deep appreciation for her and a certain feeling of kinship mm-hmm. um just because of how she how she talked about her own work and her artwork itself moves me um, some of it is colossal in size and we're talking about buildings themselves, right? So there's something just hugely there. You can look at her, um, aot-aof.org and the, uh, Olorisha, Aduni Olorisha Trust, the Ocean Foundation is there. You can look at how these are. There's still more publications will continue to come out, you know, where, where she did not like a lot of public attention. She wanted everything put back onto the temple and to the community, um, she was much beloved um, mm. because of this. And I, you know, I can't, I don't think I can, you can tell I have an effect for, I don't think I can do her justice. It's it's hard because it's as much as I love her and I love her, I can't, sh- I can't describe her artwork to you in any meaningful way. <laughs> yeah. Like these, the, the, her standalone sculptures, they are truly otherworldly. They are as um, archetypal for me in my understanding of how spirits might look or or be made manifest in our world of matter as as Geiger or um you know various fantasy novel type of influences from the from the 20th century like yeah. her things look <laughs> I mentioned Highline earlier they have that kind of like uh Starship Trooper alien insectoid <laughs> right say and I don't mean that in an, in a, in a, in a derogatory way there is an otherworldliness there is a humanity there is um just a beauty in how she looked at the landscape, understood the traditional values and religion, in, in like embedded herself within it, worked with local artists, and created communal pieces that were attributed to the community in her by her. She did not, you know, the seven, 75 uh hectare old growth forest that is the sacred groves of Oshobo. You can look, look them up on a map. 
you can go there. The Oshun Festival is huge. There's been documentaries about this. You saw the, I'm sure you've seen the one, the the that Alafia, uh, only personality uh, mm. was in that original documentary that was by the guy who followed a few people, Americans that went to Oshogbo. Mm. Um, there are, it is a common festival to show in like world religion sites and things because it's just, it is a Yoruba festival. It's going to be a street festival for a week. And there's a lot of things going on both in and outside the temple. It caused mm-hmm. a lot of controversy a few years ago when um, I believe the the king of Ife, the Oni of Ife, changed the Oshun, the caretakers of Oshun, the actual goddess, the art, the articles, the artifacts that belong to the goddess, uh, to Muslim. He named Muslim people in charge of it, and like they had to shift power. And there was they didn't know where Oshun was, and was she still in the temple? Was she not? And all these other things. But the grounds still remain the grounds. Um, Oshun is in that river. Oshun is in the soil. So I'm I'm babbling, but oh, Suzanne Wenger, I absolutely the the magic here is in the art. Truly, truly, like the the pieces are portals. So you look at them and you're like, I don't quite know what I'm looking at. And I think there's quite a bit of uh possibly some flesh of the gods, as we say, influencing this. And I'm all and I'm of course in, in love with that and fi- fine with that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you, you you've given it, I think, a really beautiful rendition and, and and again you know we 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 uh, as people that love getting into things and 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 explicating things and going on tangents on them yeah it's it, it and and who try and take very seriously if not ourselves then the the importance of transmitting information and, and meaning and experience well like we, we we can often get caught up into trying to trying to lay out all the foundational things someone needs to know but i think this is great to just like uh, uh encourage people to go to go to go a check out you know Wenger's work, but also to have an appreciation of her work and her devotion and her her cultivation of this uh, of of these you know shared wisdoms and and the production of culture crucially that like she she her work and her her magic if you want to call it that and I think we can lay you know literal foundations and infrastructure for like you say like thousands of worshippers that came after her yeah like what is what is that if not like uh, you know, making not just changing the world with magic, but making the world uh, a, a place where those enchantments and those mysteries and the, those those cooling returns to ourself by being removed from things. To try and start to think about all of the the topics we've been talking about today, there's there's a hermitude of like the of 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 of, of devoting oneself to to something that other people can come to, right? Rather than like Zarathustraing off in a mountain. There's this, there's a grove or a field called the Sacred Pottery Field at Oshogbo. I, I hope one day to go. There is a giant statue there of Iamopo, the deity of all women resides, who is felt to be a potter. And, and it's it's a colossal piece that it's it's abstract but and but still representative. And in order to even get into it, there's um, I mean, she's she's doing the walls, right? She's doing sculpturing so that there's these organic forms of like there's no 90 degree angles anywhere. Everything yeah. to flow, like it, you know, the relationship between water and pottery speaks to the relationship, of course, between Obatala as a pottery god and the relationship to fresh water, to good water, to make your pots, which is also revelatory in that he's the sculptor of the human head, the human body, and the importance of water to our body, and all the stories that we have of you know the male gods first coming and and life not continuing and not working, and no matter what they do, everything is failing because they they shunned Oshun, they shunned. Mm-hmm youngest and it was they go up to god and god is like hey where is she where's oshun and you're like oh the girl's back there like this is why it's not working nothing will work without women 
So it's the fruition is this this demand from the beginning that Oshun and all women be given respect as um, providers of life, but so much more that that, that that's not just children. That it's that there's that there's a balance that must be struck, but the the chameleon gate um, that you can look at and and see that this this you have Iamopo, the goddess of women in, in the sacred pottery fields, and then the chameleon gate is there, and chameleon is the first thing that steps foot on the earth, right? In the yeah. creation story, where he's testing the ground out in order to go into the sacred pottery field, which is a metaphor for all life and all creation, that you must go through the chameleon itself. And those powers and the things that she's thinking about as she creates these, they look like rocks that are tree branches that are, uh, it, 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 they look like natural shapes, what she did constantly everywhere. They look like natural forms. And it's hard because when they break, then it's what do you do? But they, she didn't just put up a wall. Yeah. She put up weird stretches of, of energy of, of Ashe shooting out of the ground and cycling and, and flowing through the earth around and it will require a ton of restoration throughout the years because it's it's erosion is a thing you know weathering is a thing right. um, there's something beautiful to needing to repair the work of the potter right like that's i don't know there's something about that recreation um and and what we talk about what i cherish with about the law the the recreation of the world in every breath the world begins anew because we say in our heads i am going to co-create the world i want i'm not just going to be the recipient of fate uh, and you fight for what you want. And I think that there's, I think Suzanne Menger fought for what she wanted. She wanted to see the beauty that she saw in the unseen world made manifest in the seen world. I respect the hell out of her. And I, she's someone that should be known. I don't pretend to be her ambassador in any way, but man, just fucking awesome. She's like fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really like that way that, you know, having a dead magician as a, you know, a category that we normally come to, uh, a- towards the the end of these is is really great because again it's it's not just about giving the definitive uh you know these are the essential things you need to know about such and such so much as uh capacity to to be moved to be inspired to uh to to foster you know respectful gratitude and all those kinds of of things like yeah it's it's uh, wonderful and at least as important for stirring an understanding of the the things that these dead magicians were themselves devoted to, um, how we how we disappear into and out of our work in a variety of ways. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think it, it's great to, to to end on these kinds of things. I think we tapped everything. Yeah, we um, sure did. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we we. On, you know, a set of saints who uh, evoked by their names, by by their own, you know, uh, uh, assigned nicknames, evoked uh, other important figures. Uh, especially, you know, uh, we 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 stand a beheading woman. Uh, we talked about uh, a demon that is sometimes likened to a, uh, or or at least seems to have had some historical identification with uh, one of the most powerful uh, feminine demonesses. Uh, feminine demonesses. There's there's uh, uh, redundancy. Uh, we touched on many of the mysteries of of of, of walnut, both black and and of other varieties, uh, for its capacity to to to, to give tough love uh, as well as um, uh, domesticated aggression. <laughs> we could say talked about black tourmaline and its capacity to uh, absorb and to transform 
Uh, we talked about the hermit and the move from a focus on uh, a, a an anthropomorphic virtue of of time and of of one of Saturn's geysers to uh, reflections on what time does to humans, to a, a reemphasis on prudence, to uh, uh, what it means to to be a teacher, what it means to devote oneself to something, what it means to be a lighthouse, what it means to come down from a mountain and work with people. Talked about Amicio and uh, uh, and Oshimeji and uh, their capacities to help us understand the the flow of things internal and and the heart and where the heart hurts uh, against things and how it can be uh, broken to become bigger. Uh, we talked about seclusion and exile, both in terms of uh, how they are approached and also where they can be uh, operative uh, and periods of ritual reflection. And we we ended talking about uh, Susan uh, Wenger, uh, founder of the modern uh, archaic modern art school of the New Sacred Art and uh, an inspiring figure as a craftswoman, as a uh, as a priestess, and yes, I would argue as a dead magician. To look at seclusion, privation, exile, sometimes we talk about pacing uh, when we're nervous and, and the, the, the lack of generative ambula- ambulation that, that is. Yeah. I, I like this, whether it's exile, walking away from a community, or exile or seclusion as a way of circumambulating the the black tourmaline kaba of our of our of our true focus of can pacing can our anxiety that is found in pacing be turned into a centering and a gravitation a a shift to turn the face of our desire towards the sun of our need and wow. figure that out you know how do we face the true kaba how do we how do we find ourselves within all of this that sometimes just as fasting or eating clean or getting some good sleep when you haven't been able to for a while or like vacations is a form of privation is a form of seclusion that might even be with other people but you're not with the people you know and all of those things as far as balance and finding ourselves again in the wilderness that somehow being exiled east of eden is not a death sentence but a chance for rebirth far away from the people who hold you to a version of yourself that you no longer identify with. And sometimes those people that hold ourselves to a version of ourselves we truly don't identify with anymore might be ourselves. And our, (laughs) you know, I can't do this and our shame and our other things that we perpetuate that is making us hold on to calcified and, uh, you know, ossified versions of, of who we were, not necessarily who we are. So I think, the the erosion of time the the hourglasses it strips away um, as we per, you know put water to old cracks on on pottery to to reseam it maybe black walnut is the medicine maybe tourmaline is the medicine both to repel what needs to be repelled and to gather what needs to be gathered so that we may become closer to ourselves if nothing else I think that's really beautifully put hmm. with that. <laughs> Rock on because we are about to enter our Saturn return as a as an epi- as a podcast. Um, <gasps> That's exciting. Uh, yeah. So the the third decade, which I you know here's the millennial argument, right? That like it's not 2001 that starts the millennium, but 2000 or not not 2000 that starts millennium, but 2001. So like 30 is the cap. There's still something about 30 itself, right? It's the tra- it's a liminal year, if nothing else, because it's the start of our 30s and the and the and the end of our 20s. But either way, we can no longer contain our our tens in our twos as it were 
<laughs> so, no, uh, bursting out the seams. Yeah, I'm excited to where it goes, and I'll mention it again in the hopes that we'll actually start going on it and that we do have a Patreon hopefully coming out soon uh, with uh, both asking for support for, for our continued regular programming, but also for some really fun additional content that we're interested in generating and um, possible uh, additional things like books and and uh, book clubs and blah, 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 and, and fun time. <laughs> Uh, to yeah, and, and sharing sharing some rituals off the back of these explorations of these, you know, herbs of the week and things yes. like that. Give people more things to 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 be to be working themselves and to be, you know, even building a sense of 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 uh, maybe crowdsourcing some of the like, hey, here's a weird thing you can do with rosemary or what have you. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that uh, is difficult to teach because the people that do it do it naturally in many ways. Uh, that looking at historical exemplars or fiction or wherever and being inspired to then do something from that as opposed to not just a general inspiration, but like how might one use the knowledge that's tickling your brain into an actual ritual for betterment, transformation, or um, at least improvement, Um, uh, you know, self-improvement, if not, you know, you can always take other people's down. Uh, (laughs) So I, 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 I I enjoy that because the we always I, our uh, excitement and hyperactivity our static electricity around gaining knowledge and talking about knowledge and things like that is meant to be a generative force towards action not yeah. just knowledge from either of us or any of the listeners that it's meant to inspire towards actually doing the the this art we call magic um, yes yeah. I'm hoping the Patreon and our future plans with that as well as. If you're hearing this in, in, in 2023, in the month of June, know that on July 14th, I believe we have another speakeasy coming up. So Heck check yeah. out at RadioFreeGolgotha.com, speakeasyofthedead.com. Look on Facebook for our page. Follow us wherever you get your podcast, but really it's iTunes and the RSS feed on the website and um, Spotify and, um, yeah, I think, and in, in YouTube. Um, and Yeah, yeah, and the, and the YouTubes. All right. Thank you so much, Al. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank you for making this happen. Uh, we, we have been busy this month, we find, and often in front of each other busy, but no time to record. So I'm glad we got it. <laughs> yeah, no, glad- I'm very glad we found the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and always a pleasure. Yeah, I'm glad the Saints Judith and Salome have, have inspired us to fit it in right before the deadline like a good magician. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you, dear listener, um, maybe in the plural listeners. Um, and <laughs> we 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 are we we humbly remain uh, your radio free Golgotha. Cheers, everyone. Take care. See you soon.